listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. Everybody, it's Tuesday night. Uh, every time I hear that music, uh, draw my six shooter, and that doesn't mean anything naughty. So, <laughs> we are back on the air with episode nineteen. Hope everybody's doing good. How you doing, Will? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, like I said, I'm still trying to get used to recording in jeans as opposed to pajamas. But uh, I I'm, guess I could always. I'm just happy you're wearing pants them. nowadays. So. Well, I was wearing pants before. They were just uh, red leather. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about those. <clears throat> Well, just, oh, no. I'm glad you're wearing pants that you don't have to put baby powder on first before you put them on, so you don't, don't, don't look, no chaffing. So, no, exactly. <laughs> so we are back. We're going to try to do a full episode tonight, uh, weather permitting, uh, and got two films. One film we were supposed to cover last week, which was uh, Shotgun Stories. We're going to cover it this week. Hopefully, get it out there and get it in people's minds and on their Netflix queues and whatnot. And uh, hopefully, everybody will check that out. And we're also going to cover another film. Which I know one of our listeners, who I won't mention off the top of my head, uh, is, will be very interested in, and that is a film called uh, Kamikaze Girls. So, which is way outside of, in a way, is way outside of our normal range of uh, films we'd cover. Wouldn't you say? In a way. On, I had said this to you, Sammy. On the surface, it's very outside, and once you read the, or I read, whomever reads the, the plot synopsis, it does sound like the complete opposite of what we would normally cover. But right, right. I think upon further assessment. Uh, it's not so far outside what we would, what we like to do here. Yeah, yeah, it's not far at all. All right, so um, I just want to go over a few particulars here. Make sure to check out uh, Paracinema Magazine, paracinema.net, Horror Commentary at, at horrorcommentary.com. Make sure to check out our Facebook, our MySpace page, friend us, uh, join the group, whatever the case you want to do, or you can just be friends with me or, or Will or whatever. Just, just you know, join up. It's, uh, a lot of good information comes that way. Also check out our Twitter at twitter.com slash ggtmc. Uh, I'm on there quite a bit, so if you guys want to communicate with me over there, or you know, Will, he's on there occasionally, so you can. It's a fun way to kind of uh, you know communicate with the the, the uh, quote unquote talent behind the show, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, make sure to go over to Pop Syndicate, uh, popsyndicate.com to uh, join our forums over there, uh, join the group over there, just join Pop Syndicate period, and there's a lot of great shows over there to check out, and uh, I can't say enough about all the stuff that's going on over there, so make sure to check that out and. Uh, that's really pretty much all I got. I mean, I don't have anything else, I don't think. <laughs> Unless you want to go over a few things. Yeah, just a couple of things very quickly. As always, go to Podcast Alley at PodcastAlley.com or via GGTMC.com yep. uh, and vote for the show. We're, I think, in seventh right now, and it, it just seems like we uh, that the locomotion always takes a while to get going, and then we end up uh, closing strong. And I guess, you know, it's not how you start, it's how you finish, but I'd like to start and finish strong and, you know, uh, make a good run of it here. But... Um, yeah, I got that. I also want, of course, everyone go to cinema-de-bizarre.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, the promo code for our show is gentlemen. That's gentlemen, uh, because we are very gentle. Um, yes. <laughs> use that promo, and you get 10% off your order on top of uh, the already very low prices and free shipping that the website has. Um, 
Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's all I got on my end uh, as far as housekeeping goes. Oh, also, yeah. I, you'd mentioned horror commentary. Both of our interviews are up there now. Nice. Yes, they are finally there. We can start. We can. We got the monkey off our back, so we can. Yes. We can finally move on, and uh, now we'll just, we can start uh, pleading for more interviews from everybody else. Uh, hey, Sean, can you give us another interview? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I promise we'll get it back to you in December. Yep, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. And the only other thing I got to add uh, is, again, uh, check out our, you know, so you want to contact the show, send voicemails to 206-666-5207, and your emails to midnightcinema at gmail.com. It's M-I-D-N-I-T-E, cinema at gmail.com, so... What we're going to do, we're going to do something a little different here. We're just going to not go to a break, and we're just going to break right into shotgun stories. Uh, pull the curtain back a little bit. I forgot to produce a break. So we're just going to go <laughs> We're just going to go right into it, and, you know, just tear into it. So I will kick it over to you to synopsize shotgun stories, and we'll get this little film out there and get it recognized. Now, for those of you unaware, uh, we had technical difficulties last week due to very extreme uh, weather situation in uh, Kentucky. Ironically, you got the ice storm while I was comfy, cozy at home in Canada. Um, but uh, we had covered this film rather extensively last week, and the unfortunate thing was, despite the best efforts of Sammy, uh, it couldn't be salvaged in terms of our review. Um, so we had a decision to make, and it was to put an episode out for you guys still uh, with S&M Hunter. Um, Sammy and I, and I think it's, I might, I'll, I'll be very upfront about this, uh, both felt strongly enough about shotgun stories that despite having already covered it uh, and the footage being lost, we wanted to cover it again because we felt it was important to get it out for you guys. Um, so, that being said, I will uh, give a plot synopsis here. Uh, Shotgun Stories tracks a feud that erupts between two sets of half-brothers following the death of their father. Set against the cotton fields and back roads of southeast Arkansas, these brothers discover the lengths to which each will go to protect their family. And actually, you know what, that... Um, that plot synopsis was written by the director, Jeff Nichols, now that I look at it. Well, I mean, it should be accurate then, I hope. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Considering he wrote the film, I hope he's got it down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, this was a film that, when I had first seen, I think it probably back in the midsummer or or late summer, I immediately called you and raved about this film. Um, and finally, finally, you got a chance to see it. Um, so I am very keen, or I think I'm keen to have the listeners as well, know what you thought about this film. Alright, Shotgun Stories. Uh, this was a very pleasant surprise. A nice little, small, quiet, uh, subtle film dealing with uh, violence and revenge. Uh, not in the typical uh, kind of violent revenge that we typically cover on this show, but uh, still, very powerful, very quiet type of revenge really if you think about it i mean this is what revenge would probably more be like in real life as opposed to movie life if you if you catch my drift <laughs> yes the first thing that jumps out at me about this film is the setting uh i love the setting of the film uh it is shot in arkansas outside of little rock and uh it's i'm a country boy anyway uh, being from kentucky and stuff but not so much like this type of country even though i did grow up around quite a few areas that look just like this and so the first thing that jumps out of me is the wide open spaces and these little characters and these big spaces, you know, and there's a lot of great shots of uh, the camera off in a distance or maybe the character in, in the bottom of the frame, but you can always see this big open background. I thought it was very important that they showed that to show that these characters are, you know, part of this world, this whole, uh, this little town, which the little town reminded me of, uh, oddly enough, it reminded me of the town in uh, the Bogdanovich film, Last Picture Show, 
except it wasn't as dry. It was more like a wet, humid type town because, of, you know, uh, the last picture show shot in Texas, uh, small town Texas, and this is shot in small town Arkansas, so you get a lot more humidity. Although I wouldn't, I'm, I'm for, before I go any further, let me say that Texas doesn't get humidity. I don't know, but I know that Arkansas does. So, <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of the feel it had at first for me, and it really kind of just sucked me in. So, I mean, I think the film is basically, you know, a good kind of a parable for, you know, it's almost Shakespearean in a way. I mean, it's hard to explain it, but, you know, you get these two sets of brothers. You got, uh, they have the same father, so they're half brothers. And not sets, I shouldn't say, because sets kind of implies it's only two, but they're three brothers apiece. No, there's actually, sorry to interrupt. There's three uh, from the original marriage or the original relationship, and there's four. Oh, yeah, that's right. There is four. That's right. Yeah, because I got confused at one point because I thought one of them was the son. Oh, yeah, because he was a little bit younger. There was a bit of a a gap between the the oldest and youngest of the new set, yeah. Yeah, you don't even know that until later something's mentioned, and then you realize that it's actually a brother and not a son. I thought it was maybe the son of the one brother who kind of wanted everything to kind of slow down. Or no, not that one, the the ultra-violent brother, or the one that really wanted revenge on the, the richer side of the family. So yeah. Or I don't know if I should say rich, but more well off. Certainly, I don't more think anybody's well off. rich here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you can kind of see this power of hatred and envy and jealousy and kind of anger that comes through in these guys. I mean, you can really see it. It's uh, it's pretty interesting that the way that uh, the way that the uh, Jeff Nichols sets it up, and he sets it up with uh, a funeral scene that's very powerful, a very powerful scene. And uh, I don't think I'm giving anything away by saying that that. It's it's just there's a really great little speech there, and it it just feels very real. When you agree, it it certainly does feel very real, and I think that that scene's actually partially in the trailer to kind of give the viewers a taste of uh, of what they're in for. Because basically, what happens is uh, the father, who we never see, of course, not even in picture form, um, has passed on, and he basically left the first set of uh, sons he had to rot. He didn't care about them. He was a, a different man, apparently. Uh, well, he was most uh, most certainly, um, and he's left this new family. And he found God and became a family man and whatnot. And, and basically, Michael Shannon's character goes with his two other brothers to just say that, uh, you know, because the, our father has found God and you know he, this and that doesn't make him a good man. And, and it becomes a very controversial, um, intense scene because you have to, like you said, it felt very real because this is a funeral and it, it makes it a very awkward, intense, tense moment uh, for anyone. Yeah, it's tense before anybody even opens their mouth because you can see on the face of the the brothers that are were tighter with the father that uh, you know they're really emotionally moved by the fact that he passed away, mm-hmm. and you can kind of see on the other brother's face that there's a little bit something under the surface there, <laughs> just sort of um, festering. Yes, yes. So, you know, that kind of kickstarts our, our our film in a different way. It kind of starts slow, uh, not slow like in bad slow, but kind of starts slow in like a nice. A uh, nice subtle setup, uh, the way I like films to be, at least films like this, and then that kind of kickstarts the plot and gets it going and stuff. And we're not going to give away anything of what happens and stuff. Obviously, we don't do that on the show. But uh, the hatred that's in this film—it's very—it's very real in a lot of ways. There's two scenes in it with the mother of uh, the three boys that are are not as well off, and the three boys that are not as well off, uh, played by Michael Shannon and a couple other actors, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get to here in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're named uh, well. I don't know if they're named this, but their nicknames are son, boy, and kid. And uh, they're all at different levels of. Uh, well, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. They're all at different levels of loserdom. 
Yeah, well, I think, yeah, as far as uh, the sort of... Um, the, per- the perceived sort of... Uh, domestic life or, or what we accept as, as being sort of a, a standard uh, life, I guess. I mean, some are more, what, a couple of the brothers are more on the fringe or the outskirts of, of a sort of standard accepted means of living, I guess, in a way, or less, right, I don't know, maybe right. less yeah, conventional. Just, well, I mean, they, you know, the the perfect example of that is, is uh, and we've talked about this off the air, is, you know, the one set of brothers, uh, they drive the nice trucks, they have uh, a lot of farmland, they have the nicer house. They seem to be more well kept. Uh, they wear button-down shirts, which is a little, which is a little funny joke in the in the film, actually, because it seems like the other boys don't wear button-down shirts, and even if they do, they only button one button. <laughs> and it's not the top one. That's... <laughs> yeah. And I'm talking about, uh, I think kid. I think is what I'm talking about, or uh, maybe it was boy. I don't know. I get, I get. It was kid. Yeah, it was but, kid. Yeah, it was kid. Uh, but and then you go to the other set of brothers, and he's got a little Mazda Mini pickup pickup truck. He's got, uh, you know, they got an air conditioner. That, uh, one of the boys is trying to hook up an air conditioner to his car lighter to run it because he's living out of his van. Another one's living in a tent on the lawn of the one that owns the small house. So, I mean, you can. there's a total difference between the two sets of brothers. And because of that, you get this underlying hatred, not only for the father that left them, but you get this underlying hatred for the spawn that this father created. <laughs> By this other, you know, set yeah, of yeah, real sense of jealousy, um, which is, you know, is, is bound to happen, you know, and you know, to be completely honest, from the new set of brothers' standpoint, um, it's it's not their fault, but I mean, it's it's the way one would feel uh, as far as the original set went. They're going to feel that neglect and that jealousy. Yeah, yeah, and that's where the scene, like I was talking about, Lawago, I was alluding to before I kind of broke off. The the there's two scenes with the mother. And the abuse, obviously, that the mother has laid down upon these children, not not physical abuse, I don't think, but just this sense of, of basically, you know, the old saying is, you know, people aren't born prejudiced. They're, they're taught that way, right? You know, we're not all born to hate things. We're taught to hate things. So you can just see in just the two small scenes she's in, and I mean literally she's in this film for roughly a minute and a half, maybe two minutes tops. Yeah, it, I would say it's definitely but, not more than five. Yeah, but in those short moments, uh, you can see this hatred in her face that's been carried down to her boys. And there's actually a really great scene between her and Michael Shannon where she doesn't even say a word. Yeah, no, you're right. The the look on her face. This is a woman who's very, very bitter at the way things have turned out and had no qualms about dispensing that feeling and, and sort of brainwashing her sons to feel the same way. And I guess in a sense... Um, you can't fault her for the way she feels because she was left with three boys. And now I'm not going to get into her mother's heels or lack thereof, but you know they they were all abandoned, and uh, she she certainly right. uh, drove that point home very clearly to the the, the sons, yes. which is evident. Yeah, uh, there's a couple other notes I got, and I'll kick it over to you, uh, Michael Shannon. In this film, uh, some of you guys might, uh, especially now, might know who Michael Shannon is, uh, especially if you follow the Oscars at all. He was recently nominated for an Oscar for uh, Revolutionary Road, uh, which is a fine performance, but it, it, it doesn't it doesn't even touch this performance. This is this is Michael Shannon's coming out party. He's been around for a while. He's always been good in everything he's done, even in crap. He was good. I saw him in Eight Mile with Eminem, and I think I told you this. And he was actually good in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a good example of him carrying a film and you know he this guy doesn't have matinee star looks i mean he's, this is not a beautiful person <laughs> but 
he is a very talented person, and he carries this film on his shoulders completely. It's between him and Jeff Nichols, the director, and they totally carry the film uh, from minute one to the you know last minute of this film. Uh, it's just a, it's the performance from uh, Michael Shannon. If, if anybody was to say, hey, that guy's pretty good, I wonder what he's done, what else he's done, this would be the first film I would recommend. I, that's a, a pretty accurate statement because I had said to you that <clears throat> upon seeing this film that Michael Shannon has a fan for life. It's one of those performances that you, you say to yourself or you think, you know what, I'll follow everything this guy does now. It's a real, to me, it was real, I don't want to say star making because I don't think he has any interest in star. He's one of these guys that to me has an interest in his craft, which is acting, and, and this is a real career defining performance as an actor. Yes, yes, totally. And, uh, you know, some local pride. He's actually from Lexington, Kentucky, which is only right down the road from me, so and home of the Kentucky Wildcats. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and other than that, I mean, I think it was really smart to shoot this film in widescreen, too. I mean, I mentioned the wide-open vistas and the nice green pastures, the kind of uh, catfish farm. It looks like they work on stuff. Uh, very wise to shoot this in uh, widescreen. And that, it looks like an anamorphic widescreen to me. That was very smart. Uh, because it really opens it up. Like I said, I like the. I've always liked one of my favorite shots in cinema history is the one of the early shots of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where the camera is way back and you see this small van pull through the through the frame and stop. And it really kind of puts people in perspective to the landscape. I think you know what shot I'm talking about. It's like at the beginning. Yeah, of the, yeah. I think you can see kind of the hazy, the humidity on the on the ground yeah. just kind of coming up. And it's very important, I think, when you shoot in a spot that's very rural. Rural. That's a hard word for me to say because I'm from the country. And uh, it's it's very interesting to see that uh, you know small people on the. It's kind of like small people in the big picture of things, the grand scheme of things. And I think it's very important that he he establishes wide shots and then he comes in for the. The scenes of violence, for the scenes of uh, people talking to each other, he comes in real close. It's very uh, Leone-esque, very Sergio Leone. Uh, it, it, that's what it reminded me of quite a bit, so I quite like that. And also, uh, he framed a shot really well. I know we were talking about Kubrick the other day, talking about how there's probably no other director that framed a shot like Stanley Kubrick. But uh, yep. this guy is Jeff Nichols, man. He's got a future, and he's a, you know friends with David Gordon Green, who's one of my favorite filmmakers uh, right now working, so... I hope uh, nothing for the best for him, and I can't wait for that uh, next film he's working on with David Gordon Green called Goat. I'm really looking forward to that. So that's about all I got. I'll go ahead and kick it over to you and give a, let you get some notes on it. All right, I just want to touch on what you just mentioned in terms of the wide-open shots. Um, I think, like you had said, you really nailed it. It's important to establish um, where these characters are coming from because where you're from really defines a lot, a lot of times who you are. Um, and I think no matter where... Whatever, whatever film it is, you're smart to set it up to really, um, if nothing else, show sort of where these people or these characters are subconsciously, or or what what they've what has been brought to the table for them emotionally, psychologically, and otherwise. Right. Um, so I think it was smart to do that. And like you said, to shoot the <clears throat> the more violent stuff in a little tighter, of course, adds uh, attention to it and an intimacy uh, that is lost the further out you shoot it. Of course, so. No, I commend him for that. And, and I'm actually a little late to the David Gordon Green party myself. He was someone that you turned me on to. And um, he's, a, he's a great, great director as well. And it's funny having watched this. I think I'd said to you after I rewatched it um, that I could see they, they, it very similar stylistically. Yes. Yes, almost almost spooky-like how similar the two filmmakers are, wouldn't you say? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost interchangeable. Like, you could have said to me, having having seen some Green's work now, uh, this was David Gordon Green, and I wouldn't dispute that for a moment. Yeah, I think, you, it, know? Man, you know, maybe it has something to do with the fact, like you said, you know, you can't, you know, you, who you, where you're from. I mean, these guys are both from Arkansas, David Gordon Green and uh, Jeff Nichols. So uh, maybe that has something to do with the style of filmmaking. You know, it's kind of... Their style of filmmaking, typically, and this is outside of David Gordon Green's Hollywood effort, which is uh, Pineapple Express, which I saw recently, and which I do recommend, by the way. It's a good film. Uh, this is, you know, it's kind of like the laid-back Southern style. Uh, and In South, we're kind of known for being laid-back. <laughs> so these films are kind of laid-back. And that's not to say they're not powerful. It's just the filmmaking style is very... Well, it's what me and you talk about all the time. It takes its time to set its story up. This is a very basic story, very basic revenge story. But the way it's told is the key. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. And and you're right. It's just it's not that it's it's slow. It's that it's a no rush to get there. It'll get there in due time. It lets itself unfold very slowly. And and you and I have often said it. It's a shame that in this day and age more films don't take their time setting things up because it's it's so beautiful to watch them unfold as they do instead of just being hammered over the head and you know your senses are kind of numb to this just frenetic uh, fast 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 editing and, and everything's going on and it just becomes like this uh, you know like if I, I've downed a six pack of Jolt uh, <laughs> is Jolt even around anymore I guess Red Bull's more what the kids are into nowadays yeah nowadays people are more into the energy drinks but uh, when I was growing up yeah Jolt was very prevalent in the south yeah, yeah. I remember a lot of uh, a lot of metalheads. I used to hang out. Well, we were all young, I guess. But uh, we were metalheads just drinking Jolt. And... Anyway, uh, I digress. Um, you'll have to forgive me if I kind of stumble around my notes here, because as you and I often joke about, um, you can hear the the scribbling of the pen over a note as we've talked about it. So what's happened is because we already recorded this once, all of my notes are scribbled through. So. Um, <laughs> If I sound uh, like I'm stuttering or I'm kind of well, you'll have to you'll, you'll have to be like little like uh, Ralphie in Christmas Story and get your little orphan Annie decoder ring out. A decoder ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I hope I hope my message is more is more substantial than to buy Ovaltine. <laughs> oh man, I drank but, a shitload uh, of Ovaltine growing up. <laughs> yeah, I had a little bit myself, man. Um, the first thing I like is um, the movie's called Shotgun Stories, and uh, the first thing we see is a shot of Michael Shannon working. It's just kind of a quiet, you know, thing. He's working out in the uh, the fishery or the, the fish farm or whatever. And he's got his shirt off. It's obviously a hot day. And uh, you can see all the buckshot scars on his back. And uh, it just cuts to black and it says shotgun stories. And I thought it was a really nice way to open the film. Um, I've said to you before, I always like that when a film either starts or ends like that. It just immediately cuts to black with uh, with the title on it. I don't know right. why, but... It, I think when it's done well, it's uh, it's a nice stamp uh, for me, anyway. No, I agree. Uh, it's real. It sets a tone immediately. Yeah, yeah, and it shows confidence in what they're doing. I think, in some level, just like the end of uh, Children of Men. Yeah, yeah, that, and it reminds me a little bit of. Uh, are you familiar with uh, Terrence Malick's Badlands? Are you familiar with that film? I'm familiar with it. I've never seen it. Oh, that's good. I'll have to push that one on you too. You need to see that one. I became for that. <laughs> I've always wanted to, so no. that's that's the beauty of this uh, this show. There we go. You heard it um, here. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> well, the only place you're going to hear it, actually. So. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, like you said, I really like the opening shots, the cotton fields, and, and 
and you see the transport trucks and the small kind of truck stops and everything, it just gives you a sense of identity and a sense of locale and, and everything else we talked about. Um, I really, really like the score in this film. I think Lucero or Lucero or Lucero or however you want to say it, um, in tandem with, I believe you had said, Jeff Nichols' brother, or maybe he's part of the band. Yeah, I think Lucero is actually Jeff Nichols' uh, brother's band, I believe, is what I heard. I actually listened to the commentary on this disc, and it's an uh, awesome commentary. If you're a fan of commentaries, check out the uh, check out the disc. It's very good. Oh, God, I'm going to have to listen to this commentary then, um, because I sadly haven't yet. But the score really reminded me of a band uh, called Explosions in the Sky. They did the Friday Night Lights soundtrack. Yes, Yes, it reminded me of that that kind of real lonely kind of acoustic stuff in spots, and it's just a real, real good score. I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, I thought it was great. Um, another thing I really liked about the film that that we hadn't touched on yet was I loved the the natural rapport amongst the three brothers. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's um, it's real good, real good. It's real good. It feels lived in. It feels real. Um, you know. Uh, uh, just some of the exchanges with them are great. You and I had talked about this uh, before and uh, off the air. Um, you got some conversations with boy and kid, the two younger. And when we say younger, they're still grown men. Um, I think yes. kid, who's the youngest, is probably, if I had to guess, in the movie, he's probably between 19 and 22. Uh, yeah, that, i say it's about accurate. And then boy looks like he's uh, Artie Lang's evil twin brother. Actually, his uh, nice. <laughs> a nicer-looking twin brother as compared to Artie Lang. So. <laughs> Yeah, and not as destructive, uh, more happy-go-lucky. Uh, and then Michael Shannon, probably early 30s. But uh, uh, there's exchanges between boy and kid. They're talking about basketball and, uh, you know, stuff like who, who's the best ba- basketball player to act in a non-sports film. And they mentioned Chamberlain and Conan and Kareem and Game of Death and, and all this. And, and you and I had said it's so nice sometimes when you get these little touches like that, little, little things that, that seem real. And, and you and I had said that it's like these are conversations we would have had. Yes, I mean, the the one it's the one thing I think that me and you have always been fans of uh, Quentin Tarantino for is because his characters talk about stuff that people actually talk about. You know, mm-hmm. most people usually talk about a hamburger they had or a film they saw or a TV show they watched. That's what people typically talk about, and you know, kind of just genial conversation, congenial conversation. You know, so to see these two brothers, which is you know, that's something me and my brother would have talked about growing up. We would have said, hey, you know, is, is Will Chamberlain better in Conan the Destroyer or is Kareem Abdul Jabbar better in Game of Death? Yeah, it's a. For my money, I'd have to go with Chamberlain and Conan Destroyer because that film is just a travesty, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, I like it too. I'm not afraid to admit it. Um, yeah, no, it just it was great. And then they were talking about who's the best basketball player to come out of Arkansas. And I think they were talking about Scotty. Was it Scotty Thurman they were talking about, or, or no? They were talking about Corliss Williamson and uh, and Sidney yeah. Moncrief. I think it was. Yeah, I think uh, it was Williamson and Moncrief. Yeah, that's right. Even though it wasn't Thurman on a side note that hit that that three to win the national title that year. I think it was Thurman. Yeah, it was Scotty. It was either Scotty Thurman. Yeah, I think it was Scotty Thurman. Yeah. yeah now we're so. getting off into a totally different podcast. Yeah, Welcome no. to the Gentleman's Guide to College Basketball. <laughs> um, but anyway, <laughs> it just—it's great stuff. I mean, I really, really like that. And like I said, it's a small thing, but I think you know, as a real film fan, uh, and anyone who listens to our show, is it's just the little details that that go the longest way for you sometimes, and that's one of them. Uh, for me, the youngest brother, Kid, really reminded me of a more talented um, version of James Duvall. Yes, yes, uh, he looked like him quite a bit. This, he, this, everything about him reminds you of that. Yeah, yeah, he really does, and uh, just a little bit better than James Duvall. Although I don't mind James Duvall, but uh, he kind of really reminded me of him. Um, 
What else do I got here? Here's where I start stumbling through the, the squiggles and <laughs> scratched out notes. Um, yeah, we had talked about the situation itself uh, earlier between the two sets of brothers. That was a very messy and sort of complicated situation. And I think if you just pause the movie for a moment and think about everyone's position in this, and you can see that although we certainly uh, sympathize a lot more with the, 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 the quote-unquote protagonists, they're not protagonists in a conventional sense. They have our sympathy more because they've had a harder life, um, and we spend certainly a lot more time with them. But this is, if you pause and you step back, you see that it really is a very messy, complicated situation, much like real life. I mean, this is something that I'm sure has happened before. I mean, in terms of, you know, uh, the the family uh, dynamic or the, you know, the mixing and so forth. Yeah, it's a small town too, so everybody knows what everybody else is doing. And uh, I don't know if on your notes if we've even mentioned the character of Shampoo yet. We have not, but it's funny because what we had said last week was um, that we didn't know any way that S and M Hunter and Sh- and <laughs> and Shotgun Stories would be connected. And I said, well, two of the characters that keep the movies moving along uh, wear some sort of an eye cover. Um, yes. And I'll let you, actually I'll let you. I like the way you sort of touched on shampoo last week. So if I may kick it over to you for a moment to to go over shampoo and, and his relevance and importance to the film. Yeah, shampoo is basically the most Shakespearean of the characters in the film. He's kind of the uh, he's the main. Really, he's the protagonist of the film. He seems to always be there, or the catalyst. Stir sh- yeah, the catalyst. I should say, not the protagonist. He he seems to always be there to. Just stir shit up. That seems to be his only function. And, uh, you know, Shakespeare would use that type of, uh, of a plot device. And uh, he, he's an interesting character because he's a bona fide, and I can say that with confidence, this guy is a bona fide loser. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not being mean to the guy. He's a character and everything. But, I mean, if I met this guy in real life, I'd go the other way. Yeah, this guy's <laughs> not ever going to do anything um, that... that society perceives as sort of a success uh, that's he's going to get into trouble with the law he, I think there's a point in the film where he references his meth lab burned down or, or something like that yeah yeah he uh, he even at one point uh, you know he's showing people how to use a, a gun I don't think it's giving too, too much away but I mean his kind of nonchalant style of just always kind of pushing these brothers it seems even though he's it, it might seem like he's not trying to do that to me, that almost seemed like that's all he was trying to do, was just keep pushing him, keep pushing him, keep pushing him. Oh, so did you hear what so-and-so said? Oh, did you hear what so-and-so did? Oh, yeah, man, I was there. I saw this. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Oh, yeah, you think so? I mean, that's the kind of stuff you're getting from him. And he just fuels this fire that's in uh, Michael Shannon's character uh, to you know to these really, really extremes. And uh, just a, he's a very interesting character. I've never seen, well, I'm not going to say I've never seen anything like him because I've seen him, <laughs> that plot device used, or that, you know, the catalyst, as you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, used several times in films to move films forward and move keep you know keep the uh, what's the word I'm looking for here the forward momentum going you know yeah. uh, he's used that way but he is uh, you know he's he's always there when I guess depending on how you look at it he's always he's in the right place at the wrong time or he's in the wrong place at the right time <laughs> that's a very good way to put it and that's absolutely true and you know I I I, I kind of wrestle with whether I think he is malicious in his intent or if he he really is wanting this to go sort of these two two sets of brothers to go off the cliff um i don't know if it's that i don't know if it's that it's sort of the small town sort of gossipy everyone knows your business mentality or 
or what it is, quite frankly. It, it could very well be that, you know, like you said, he's just, you know, pushing things along for his, not necessarily his own amusement, but, you know, maybe he just wants to, it's, it would get, provide some interest in the small town. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you could look at his character and, and the motivations of, of what he does in the film. Yeah, I mean, he, he don't have anything to do. I mean, he's covered in bandages. It sounds like he's had his house burned down, possibly, from uh, some uh, tricky, dodgy behavior he was doing in the house, maybe. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the <laughs> so, Of course he has nothing to do. His meth lab is burned down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, he's looking for some entertainment. He don't have a television. He's living out of his car, you know. So, and, you know, he's just... It, I don't know. I agree with you. I don't know if it's malicious intent or if it's just... You know, he can't help it. Maybe he just wants, you know, entertainment or, you know, maybe he's just one of those guys. I mean, you meet people like that in real life all the time. You meet people like that all the time who are going to say, oh, yeah, well, I heard so-and-so said this about you. Yep. You know, you're always going to meet people like that. And that's basically what this character is. Yeah. He just, he is what he is, I guess. Um, I love that this film, everyone looked like real people, too. Speaking of the reality and the, it just feels, it felt real to me. It wasn't like you had, um, you know, a bunch of uh, Hollywood A-listers, uh, you know, in it. like you didn't have Freddie Prince Jr. and, you know, uh, James Vanderbeek and all these people in it. Uh, one of the OC, some of the OC cast, Misha Barton, all this. It just, it felt real. It felt, they looked like real people. And that's something that we've sadly gotten away from in this day and age in film. Um, as well as in music, uh, which is ironic, but, um, you know, it just, it's ironic, but it, it is, is true. It I is agree true. With you. I'm over here laughing because I'm like, Oh God, you hit it right on the head. Yeah. There. I mean, go look at, um, any of these seventies infomercials for music, man. Those musicians <laughs> were not what you would call a conventionally attractive man, but they were awesome musicians. <laughs> right. So it just comes yes. back to this. And I'm not saying this is a, a cast of Quasimodo's. Certainly not. Uh, I'm just saying that they look like normal people. There's some, you know, sort of attractive ones, but it's not like, you know, it's it's a dreamboat convention. It's not like there's you know, seven Tom Brady's in the film. You right. Know? But right. I literally like that. I always like in films uh, cast like that because we've gotten away from that since the 70s, and it's a real shame. Um, what else do I got here? Uh, yeah, like we said, there were some nice exchanges. There was a sort of a sweet exchange between son and uh, kid talking about a button-up shirt because kid has a serious girlfriend um, and he, he asked him if he can borrow or, or son asked him he goes do you have a button-up and he says no and he says well you know you can borrow mine and it's it's a real sweet moment between the two brothers and just kind of shows Michael Shannon in that sort of big brother mentor role to kid that he's obviously had to be throughout kid's life um, because their father wasn't around and and I would and I would right. assume that the mother as bitter as she was didn't remarry out of, because she was so consumed with hatred for men at that point. Mm -hmm. That's what it seemed like to me too, and that's what I was talking about earlier with the button ups. The other the other brothers seem to all have button ups on at some point in time, and uh, here they are talking like they only have one between them. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right, and just kind of they should. Well, I, I don't know if boy would fit into son's uh, button up, but he's a little bit rotund. <laughs> <laughs> well, he has his own button up. That's the one that only buttons oh, up yes, one yeah. button. <laughs> <laughs> it button up. Thinks he's a uh, thinks he's like uh, in Arkansas, like a Southern Tom Jones walking around town. <laughs> he did have a pretty decent mane on him, like a Jonesian mane, but uh, yes, yeah, a little hair on the <laughs> oh, chest, yeah. little sizzle chest going on there. <laughs> Um, you get to see what happens. His son, uh, Michael Shannon's character, yeah, he his marriage and his uh, his family is um, he's having some problems. He's got a wife and a, a son who's about seven years old, maybe, and uh, she she leaves him uh, early on in the film. And that's not a real major plot point, but she 
sort of leaves for a little while because he, he gambles a little bit. And it doesn't seem like he's necessarily a, a chronic gambler. He gambles a little more than he should based on his, his income. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. so he gets his son, and, and uh, son gets his son. I know that's confusing. Son gets his boy. No, that still doesn't work. Son's yeah, child <laughs> uh, and the brothers, they, they all take the, the, God, how am I going to work on this? The, the, the child fishing. And um, there's a scene where the other set of brothers come upon them. And uh, the two sets of brothers get into a fight, and the camera, you get a close-up of uh, son's son's face. And the look on his face when he saw his father and uncles fighting, uh, it just broke my heart to see. Because especially having a son now myself, it, you know, the boy, the look of sort of, he was scared. He was, you know, he was just very bothered by this, this sudden eruption of violence. And it, uh, it's really tragic, it, you know, when you look at a film and in life... It's, it's the ripple effect that, that these things and what you do have on those around you. Yeah, and Nichols plays it just right, too, that violence in uh, real life is never as planned out as, uh, you know, a David Mamet heist movie or something. It's it's sudden, it's quick, it makes no sense, it scares you. Uh, some people might even make them sick to their stomach. Uh, it, it's, you know, that's what violence is. Uh, so you really see that on this boy's face. And my immediate thought was also... You know, this boy's going to be, you know, scarred by this a little bit and possibly for the rest of his life, and it might form the man he's going to become. Yeah, yeah. No, it really does, and it just was a... Again, it was a brief moment, but, you know, Nichols does so much with so little so often, and we'll probably come back then and bang that drum a few more times. But uh, the film isn't without its comedic moments as well. Um, like you'd said, the scene with uh, the air conditioner, they're running the, the window unit outside on the park bench... Uh, I thought was pretty comical. And there's another scene where, where Boy, because Boy basically wants to live in his van because he doesn't want to pay rent. It's that he's too cheap. It's not that he necessarily can't afford to get an apartment because uh, I think he's the high school or the junior high basketball coach. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just that he doesn't want to pay rent. So he, uh, there's a scene where he hooks up his, uh, he hooks up a blender to his car battery and he's making daiquiris or margaritas sitting by the, the creek just, you know, uh, drinking them from the blender, I just got a chuckle out of that. I thought that was kind of funny. Hope he has enough money to replace all the batteries from all this equipment he wants to hook up to oh, his van. Man. Yeah, between the <laughs> the window AC unit and blender, and I mean, he's probably fried eggs on that battery. You know, this is a guy who's he's making the most out of uh, out of uh, the, what's under the hood of his car. Right. Um, <clears throat> there's a great amongst many. There's a great great shot when uh, something something tragic happens in the film. And uh, the two sets of uh, brothers end up at the hospital. And the one set are looking at the other set uh, down the, this, this corridor of the hospital. And it's just a great tension-filled shot because uh, of what's preceded uh, them being at the hospital. Yeah, yeah, it's a very... <coughs> oh, excuse me. It's a very... Uh, I think I said this the last time we were talking about it, uh, which nobody will hear, but uh, I think you'll remember that it was very... Uh, Kubrick-like, very uh, shot down hallways, very uh, just a subtle close-ups on each one, uh, but nothing said, no dialogue said, but everything is in the face. It does, you don't need any dialogue there. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was very well done. Yeah, and that's my ne- brings me to my next point. It's a nice segue. Shannon talking about his performance. It is, it isn't this big bombastic sort of Pacino at the height of uh, the '90s. You know, just says ah ah, kind of. And again, I forgot the name. The lawyer movie with Keanu Reeves. Uh, uh, and again, I'll remind you, the uh, Devil's Advocate. Yes, that's the one. It's not that kind of a scenery-chewing performance. It's you know Shannon's so good in this film at despair and sort of the seething rage bubbling beneath the surface. Yes, yes. There's a lot of moments where he just 
kind of one-off will say something real quiet. And uh, those are really nice little character touches. Uh, very, very reminded me a lot of a uh, young Brando. Uh, not the same kind of looks in the face, obviously, because he's not a, you know, a matinee guy. Like not Brando as dreamy. <laughs> but Brando, when he you know first started out, he was one of the first actors to really bring the mumble and the little things said under their breath and stuff. And uh, Shannon really brings a, a lot of little little great character ticks. When he's drinking coffee, he'll say a few words and. You know, just anything like that. I really like that kind of stuff. The way he walked, like he was just beaten by the world. I, I like that quite a bit, too. Yeah, those little touches. Just his eyes say so much. And usually, you know, you get that when, when the character has these, these piercing blue eyes. But Shannon, I think, has dark eyes. You know, and he still yes. he just he conveys so much with those uh, those brown eyes. His. Um, what else do I got here? Just a side note, I didn't mention this last time, I thought it was very quirky, just a little quirk, um, shinfo, as it were, to use our oh, friend's you term. Uh, you guys use paper bags at the grocery in the States, we use plastic bags, We've, there's no place you use paper bags here. Uh, well, in reality, we don't really use paper anymore. We did for years, uh, I think paper's pretty much gone away. Actually, that's not true. I mean, I, I still see some small shops that still use paper, but we mostly use plastic now. Like the ones that have the hole in the top for the handle, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's just, I, I you know, it's, it's sort of a thing that us Canadians always talked about with you guys. It's like, oh, it's be so cool to have paper bags, but as I've gotten older, I thought, that serves no function. You have to carry them from underneath. I can't carry as many bags. It's not very uh, Paper bags were never good, no. trust me. Uh, I carried a lot of groceries as a kid, and... Uh, they would always rip. <laughs> yeah. No, they, they, <laughs> melons rolling down the driveway, you know, just a yeah. comedy. But uh, that's a complete side note. Um, at least I had to bring that up. Um, what else do I got here? There's a scene, and I won't reveal what it is, because revealing what it is is going to reveal something about the film. And I don't want to be cryptic, and I said this last time, but I think I want to mention it. And once whomever uh, that listens to our show lists, they'll know what I mean. There's a scene where Michael Shannon is staring at something, uh, an inanimate object, and it's such a poignant moment in the film um, because of what it symbolizes. Uh, and I just thought it was a great, great moment. And you know what I'm talking about, of course. Yes, I do. Yeah, I won't give it away either, but it is a, it's a great little quiet moment. Um, other than that, the only other note I have is... Throughout the film, like I touched on earlier, the film opens with Michael Shannon. You see the buckshot scars on his back, and you kind of hear gossip that he got them from from running around with some guy's wife, and he tried to hold up a liquor store, and he tried to do this and try to do that. So they're kind of building up this uh, the suspense, and I like the the reveal, or I guess the reveal of, of how Son gets the scars on his back, because that really, um, once in retrospect, uh, summarizes things very succinctly in terms of motivations and and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, it made a lot of sense when uh, it's finally revealed. And uh, I thought it was going to go a different way, but it, it went that way. And then when it did go that way, I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So yeah, it was a nice touch. Yeah, it was. It's one of those things that's right into your nose, and you once you get there, you're like, oh, yeah. Why didn't I, you yep. know. It's, mm-hmm. it's sort of beautiful simplicity, I guess, I say uh that's all i got um do you want me to kick it over you for your make or breaks and stuff because i've been talking here for a while and yeah. Sip of H2O. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i'll uh, i'll go over my make or breaks in my mvt uh my make or break for this film is basically again the setting uh it really kind of sucked me in immediately i live in the south or basically the beginning of the south as i've always said kentucky's kind of like the beginning and then you head on down south and it just gets more interesting from there and uh 
it really reminded me of home quite a bit, and it really sucked me in immediately. I don't get to see, when I usually see the country in films, it usually is guys in cowboy hats and wide open plains. It's not uh, the South like Sling Blade or something like that, which was another good film about the South. Uh, you know, showing what the South is really like. And if you live here, any of you guys out there listen to this, if you live in the South, you know what I'm talking about. So check this out. You'll definitely feel at home a little bit. Uh, my MVT for the film is, of course, Michael Shannon. Now, I, I, I bickered with myself a little bit on Jeff Nichols, who I really liked. I mean, this is a strong debut film, and Michael Shannon. But when it comes down to it, Michael Shannon is what I kept paying more attention to than actually the film itself because his performance is so kind of enticing it just kind of sucks you in every time you see him and you just can't wait for him to say something there's a lot of moments where he doesn't say anything and you still can't keep your eyes off of this guy so i had to go with michael shannon in this case my score for this film is uh, a very solid eight i really like this film quite a bit uh it's so quiet man and i i have a hard time describing films that are really quiet like this but this is really the kind of thing i love in cinema and i wish i could have saw it on the big screen that's the really the only shame here because i just think it would have been beautiful to see this film on the big screen so that's about all i got i'll kick it over to you Alrighty, um, my make or break scenes, make or break scene, why well, scenes plural in this case, is the scenes with the brothers. Like I said, um, a lot that hap- the protagonists, uh, quote unquote, um, it, it goes a long way towards establishing the believability and sort of as the emotional anchor and core of the film is is the relationship with these brothers and that they've kind of had to to look out for each other and and uh, you know they're real tight, they're they're friends, they're you know real close so I love the scenes with all the brothers right. and their exchanges like we'd said they're very realistic and humorous and, and touching conversations between them um, it was a strong point for me amongst many strong points my MVT right. for the film again it's Michael Shannon I think it's it's just a crying crying shame that um, this film and he because Nichols is is one to watch and you know you and I had said this on our, our last review of this film that uh, is in the you know the dryer vent in the sky. Um, <laughs> it uh, it's 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 really interesting that two of potentially the most gifted and um, uh, the most gifted filmmakers in the, in America right now are are out of Arkansas. Um, but I had to go with Shannon. I wish he had been nominated for an Oscar for this instead of uh, Revolutionary Road. As as good as that is, um, and you and I had said this off the air, it just almost seems like he was nominated in that to make up for the the uh, ignoring of shotgun stories yeah i mean that's that's the way i felt i just i've just recently seen revolutionary road and i know you just saw it uh, not too long ago mm-hmm. as well and we both kind of felt that even though he is very good in that uh it's not near nowhere near the performance this film that he gives it's not it's not even close no, no this is one of my favorite performances of the year bar none bar none um and in fact this was the film that if anyone goes back and listens to our casting couch episode where we cast uh, inglorious bastards this was the performance that propelled michael shannon onto my list and i said i could see him do the, yeah. the sort of the nazi role or a, a bastard role um just based on the strength of this and like i said i'm a fan for life now um he's gonna have to do a lot wrong which i can't see him doing uh, for me to not love him and, and look forward to everything he's in after this. Um, right. As for my score of the film, I give it an 8.5 out of 10. That's a really high score, but this is a film that, uh, since I'd first seen it, um, like I said, I just I, I, I thought about it so much, and it's, it really it really is a film that I love and that I'll watch uh, multiple times. And, and you and I have often said, a lot of times the films we cover on the show are films we've seen before, and it can be a bit of a chore, but... Um, you know, some little subtle things were revealed to me more this time around when I watched it, and, and it's one that I'll watch probably. A, 
a lot more uh, before I leave this earth. So um, I just love this film, and I can't recommend it highly enough to everyone to go out and buy it, um, to, to get it from Netflix or Zip. It's on both. Um, and just support this and support this, uh, support Jeff Nichols and, and the people involved with this film. Yes, and I totally agree with you on that. God, this is definitely... For me and for you alike, uh, we both agree that this is one of those films you need to own. And this is going to be one of those films that I'll uh, push on you know, friends whenever they say, you know what I'd really like to see? I'd really like to see like a good southern kind of drama without Burt Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say, what? There's no such thing. <laughs> With 40% less chest hair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, that, uh, I agree with you, man. This is one people need yeah, to own. And I'd be keen to hear anyone's thoughts once either if they'd seen it before we reviewed it or if they've gone and seen it since we've, uh, since we've covered it because I, I just really want to know that uh, <laughs> we're doing our small part for people to see yeah. it and what they think of it. We only know one person that's actually seen it at this point, and that's Miles over at Chosho, So, and uh, he liked it pretty much. So, uh, yeah, anybody else that checks it out, let us know. Call in, let us know. Yeah, Miles I know up. Miles, he liked Shannon's performance more than the film itself, but he didn't, yeah, he didn't, uh, didn't hate it, that's for sure. Yep. All right, so that is Shotgun Stories, an 8 and an 8.5, uh, high ratings, high recommendation. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to review a much different film, which I'm sure we'll find something in common with with the other film, because we always do. And I already have. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) And it's called Kamikaze Girls, so stick around. Cinema Diabolica is a different kind of underground and horror cult movie show. Completely different. Check it out for yourself at cinemadiabolica.com. are back the song has nothing to do with kamikaze girls <laughs> <laughs> you know i was just go, go ahead. ahead i'm sorry no you go ahead <laughs> uh i was gonna say didn't we already play this song on an episode but it's of course last week when the show got next uh <laughs> yeah yeah see i lost all that audio last week so uh these breaks were made last week and uh i am very keen on recycling <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that yep exactly Trying to keep everything green, including podcasting. Yes. All right. All right. So uh, we are back from break. Our second film tonight is one called Kamikaze Girls, which, again, I'm going to kick over to you and let you synopsize uh, for this film as well. Or uh, Shimotsuma Monogatari, if you uh, speak Japanese. I had an Atari when I was a kid. As did I, actually. uh, Chopper Command was a favorite. Awesome. Yes. Yeah, Chopper Command was very good. (laughs) Uh, my new online name, my new uh, my new Twitter name, Chopper Command. That, that was an incredible game. <laughs> um, wow, I just actually said I was going to add a synopsis, not read one. So let me just uh, go back here. Wow. <laughs> okay, this is a long one, so let's see how it uh, stands up. Uh, That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect, actually. <laughs> the perfect application of that. Momoko is an ordinary girl living an ordinary life. Ordinary, that is, if you define ordinary 
as wearing elaborate Lolita dresses from the Rococo period in 18th century France. <laughs> a complete fish out of water in her rural and sleepy Japanese town where everyone buys their clothes and everything else at the same store, and no one understands her. And no one understands her. Momoko's way uh, life is one of sugared sweets and frilly, frilly treats. Desperate to make some money to pay for her expensive indulgence, Momoko tries selling uh, bootleg Versace and Universal Studios clothes, which I'm sure we'll get to, left over from her dad's Yakuza days. However, when punk girl and self-styled Yankee Ichiko comes calling, her days as ordinary are most certainly numbered. Road movie, buddy comedy, deeply insightful and surprisingly touching. The surreal world only further highlights the all-too-real friendship that brings these two unlikely girls together. That That's pretty long, but I'd say it summarizes it reasonably well. Yeah, the only thing they didn't really have in there is it sneaks in a little bit of uh, interesting violence as well. That's about the only thing they didn't put into that plot synopsis. Let me say this in case I forget later on. And of course, this would be subject to a, uh, a prior screening. But as I was watching this again, because it probably been about three or four years since I'd seen it, um, I thought this might be one for Doc and KK to watch. What do you think? <laughs> no? E, uh, ooh. Um, <laughs> tough to say. <laughs> it is tough to say. There is some. I guess it depends on what kind of the uh, the amount, the violence that Doc uh, lets KK see. Violence in uh, Heroes of the East is kind of cartoonish, as it can sometimes be in kung fu movies, as we've talked about. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, maybe, but it's definitely one Doc will have to check out first, which more on KK Gate on the next break, by the way. Uh, yes, but I, I do want to say that, Doc, this is at least worth consideration, so if watch it, and if you think it is, then we'd be keen to get your thoughts. If it's not, then it's not. But um, I think the message uh, of sort of female empowerment is, is what I was more... Um, yeah, yeah, no, I can see the angle you're talking about. I, I just I just don't know. I just don't know. Uh, I, haven't, I hadn't thought about it, actually. Uh, but uh, maybe the doc will check it out, and then it, at the very least, he'll let us know. Yes. So this, I'm going to actually go ahead and let you take the lead on this review, uh, since I did take the lead on Shotgun Story. So I'm going to oh, go ahead and let you take right. that. Okay. Um, this was a film I'd seen, like I said, a, a while ago, years ago, and it was one that, despite, like, I, and in fact, I said to you, and because you and I, I don't know if everyone knows this, but we do sort of quote unquote roadmaps of of what we're going to cover on the show for the next month or two. We kind of this way we ensure that we have everything we want to cover because it's not like we cover it in the same room and you just come over and and we watch the film yeah. or I go to your house. Um, right. So we always want to make sure we have this stuff. And I'd said to you. How does this film sound to you? It's about two girls. It's a sort of coming-of-age story about their friendship. Um, and one's really into embroidery and uh, on and on and on. Um, and on the surface, it sounds like everything I loathe in a film. Not loathe, but just have no interest in because it's not for me. Right. But I'm leaving out one key critical point here. It's Japanese. And boy, is it ever. Boy, is it ever Japanese. Um, the film opens up with a really great... It actually opens up at the near the end of the film with a really beautiful uh, kind of sequence with a very beautiful star of the film who plays Momoko. I'm very uh, taken by her. I think she's, she's a beautiful uh, girl or woman. Yeah, no, I was taken... Uh, it's odd. I was taken by both of them in different ways. I thought they were both beautiful in their own unique way. Yeah, well, to give everyone a bit of an insight, these are two, these two are, were J-pop, which is Japanese pop stars. And I know um, the girl that played uh, Ichigo, uh, Anna Suchia, if that's in fact how you say her name, she's half Russian, I believe, or half Russian-American, half Japanese. Um, yeah, they're right. They both bring something different to the table, and and they both are very pretty. Um, I just... I was really taken by Momoko. Um, 
Uh, I have to agree. I was too. Beautiful. Girl. And it wasn't just because of the clothes. I'm not a pervert. No, no, no. And to be <laughs> honest, let's let's clarify one thing to you. Lolita, it doesn't mean exactly the same thing that it does um, here. It's more of a a Victorian era uh, kind of gothy uh, kind of look, I guess. It right. doesn't. Yeah, yeah. It's not necessarily the same connotation that we have. Um, but anyway, it opens with a shot of it, sort of the, near the end of the film, and then it rewinds and and. Uh, you know, it has her kind of doing the voiceover, which uh, which I thought was a, an interesting way to start the film. It sort of lets you know what you're really in for with the film. Yes, uh, this film is after my heart, as you, as some of you listeners may know. I am a huge fan of the breaking of the fourth wall. That's what they call it in the film world, where either a character addresses the camera, uh, which recently we did this with uh, JCVD, and there was another film too. I can't remember what. Actually, there was a in Hausu. There was a small moment where and an S and M Hunter. Yeah. Yes. There we go. There's these moments that I've always loved. It's like, you know, it's, it's that feeling you get of uh, you're in on the joke. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's always, the, one of my favorite most recent moments of that is the Kurt Russell wink in Death Proof. That is a <laughs> fucking amazing scene. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that one sent chills all the way down to my toes. Uh, but the, I'm a big fan of that. In this film, uh, there's quite a few moments where she addresses the camera. and It's, it's really, really amazing. I'm going to go into more when we get to my side of it. But it's really amazing how this story's told. And... Uh, with the addressing of the camera, with the fantasy elements, with the the high contrast uh, way the film shot looks like, uh, well, the only thing I can relate it to is maybe something that Spike Lee would do. Spike Lee likes to use that high contrast look sometimes. Or Tony Scott. Oh yeah, yeah, Tony Scott. That's a good one too. Yeah. Yeah, um, but it opens up with uh, sort of rewinds and it gives a history lesson to the uninitiated viewer of the Rococo period of France, which took place in the 18th century, and sort of gives you an idea of what. Uh, what our, our one of our two protagonists, uh, Momoko, what, what this whole lifestyle is. Uh, so I really like that. Um, like I said, it does break the fourth wall immediately and repeatedly. Um, you know, it's funny, she's so devoted to being sort of a prissy, frilly uh, girl of this time that she, she talks about the fact that she walks 30 minutes to the subway uh, as, as riding a bicycle there isn't as elegant. Yeah. You know? Well, I don't. I can't believe she walks that far. First of all, in those shoes, but can you ride a bike in those shoes? <laughs> That's no. I don't think you could. She have to put them in the basket and maybe ride. She in has her like uh, like stage boots almost. They look like uh, a very feminine cotton can candy version of Gene Simmons' Kiss mid seventies <laughs> boots. Yes. <laughs> and I and and all of all the time we've talked about doing a podcast, I didn't think we'd sit around and never talk about shoes. <laughs> no, but this is that kind of film. <laughs> yes, that is true. Um. You know, and the one good thing I like is not one good thing. There's many good things about this. Um, one of the things I really like is when she's walking and she's doing the voiceover. You she she stops at this vendor in her town, and you really get a, a sense of um, Momoko's uh, herself, her perceived isolation, um, because she's walking by and the neighbor asks her where she's going. She's going to Tokyo. She's going to do some shopping and so on and so forth. And he says, "Well, why would you go to Tokyo to shop when Jusco has everything we need?" And uh, it's a great little sequence, actually, where all the, the people there, at the, the vendor, um, it, it almost becomes like a, a moving, living, breathing flyer for the store. Yeah, is, is Jusko, uh, by any chance, like a Japanese Walmart or something? That's the impression I got, and in fact, I looked into it after we, um, after we did the film. Yeah, I did a little bit of research, and Jusko is a real store. Um, it does, my impression is it is sort of a Walmart-type store. Um, I know they, they, I've read something interesting, like they use sugar cane to make uh, bags, they're trying to be more ecologically 
conscious. I don't know, but anyway, it is sort of a Walmart-type store, and of course, Momoko being the, the frilly, prissy girl that she is, just is completely disgusted by the fact that these sloths or these uh, lemmings just go to juice, go for everything. Um, so you get right away the sort of where, where she's at uh, in this sort of small town. Um, yeah, like you would said, the film really does employ a lot of different techniques in terms of uh, the camera, the, a lot of sight gags right off the top. Uh, you get still photography, you get animated farts. Um, uh, yeah, that was interesting. I didn't expect that at all. Multiple animated farts. And just <laughs> the, the, um, uh, the director, Nakashima, just pulls out all the stops. I mean, within 30, 40 minutes... It's sort of like Haosu in that sense, where you get a ton of different styles right it's from... It's funny, the- yeah, it's so funny you mentioned that, because that's what I was <clears> thinking <throat> while I was watching it. It's like, this is Haosu. But for me, and again, when we get to when we get to my side, this works for me more than Haosu did. So I'll explain that when I get to my side more. Okay. Um, one of the things that I found was, um, it really was profound, or... See, this film, you can almost look at it as a very uh, cotton candy kind of uh, Japanese film, but the the essence of this film, I think, is something that is so true. There's a quote in the film where, I think Momoko, uh, in a flashback, says it to her mother. She says, humans are cowards in the face of happiness, and I think, you know, that really hit me hard, because I think it's so true um, with us as, you know, with us as humans, of course. Yes. No, no, it was a very poignant moment, and uh, you could tell, you know, she felt burned by her mother. Yeah. Uh, being stuck with a father who is, uh, well, not really a loser because he can provide for his family, but not kind of not exactly a uh, a winner either. <laughs> He's a really quirky kind of guy, but, you know, he, it's funny. She talks about his operation. He sells um, uh, bootleg or knockoff Versace stuff, but it's spelled V-E-R-S-A-C-H, and there's a sort of funny thing where anytime she says Versace... Uh, it's it's bleeped out, and even on the screen, the, a few of the letters are asterisks out. Yeah, I yeah. I don't know. I, I didn't know what that was for. And then also, it kind of branches off into like a uh, what a Universal Studios or maybe a Disney World thing or something. They start bleeping that out as well. Yeah. What happens is they talk about how there's going to be a use of Universal Studios Tokyo, and her father says it's all about dual brand names now, and so he does um, <laughs> like a, a combination Versace Universal Studios uh, logo. <laughs> And it's just yes. hilarious because one of the criticisms a lot of people have is how rampant bootlegs and knockoffs are in Asia. Um, more so in China, but I guess it is uh, somewhat in, right. in Japan as well. But, I mean, it got to the yeah. point where Mercedes-Benz and cars and things were, were, were done uh, as knockoffs. But I thought that was absolutely <laughs> hilarious, you know, because of copyright infringement, quote-unquote. They, they couldn't say Versace or Universal Studios. So yeah, think, yeah, no, it was an, it was an interesting touch. I kept thinking there was something wrong with my disc. <laughs> it's like in uh, Kill Bill when uh, what's her name, uh, Beatrix, is uh, sort of bleeped out, not with the same uh, intent, but sort of the same thing. Yes. Um, yes. One of the funny things, speaking of her father, he has uh, the winning combination of an El Pompadour and a Hitler mustache. yeah i don't know i don't know who decided to do that but that was just uh uh, i've never seen a costume or i guess you can call that a costume i've never seen a choice like that and the funny thing is it's not even the most impressive pompadour in the film which i'll get to well yeah yeah it's not and that mustache isn't impressive either yeah that pompadour is going to have some interesting conversation attached to it oh yeah um i thought there was a great visual bit where um when she's talking about when she first finds this store she likes, which is called Baby the Stars Shine Bright. And uh, it talks about her first encounter with the store. And it's almost like she goes in there and she shoots herself with a pistol because she was slain by this Baby the Stars Shine Bright store. I thought that was a real great visual uh, 
a choice for them to do. Yeah, yeah. No, I like that quite a bit. Um, I thought the film was edited really well. It, it it was edited very well in terms of the timing and pacing with um with some of the jokes and the the physical uh, some of the gags and stuff in the film. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, uh, I mean, it's like it's almost like uh, manga or animation come to life in a lot of in a lot of areas. I love the shots where all of a sudden she's flying because she's in her fantasy world and things. I mean, there's just a lot of really great like lyrical type shots. Yeah. In this film, and they're edited so well with the reality of the film as well. Yeah, they really, really are. Um, what else do I got here? Let's see. Oh, now here's the connection. You asked how Shotgun Stories and this were going to be connected. And I will say, think of the grandmother. Think oh. of Shampoo. Hey. Think of the <laughs> S&M Hunter. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about that when uh, I got my notes here. Uh, one of my notes, and I'm going to scribble it out right now because you just mentioned it. It says, another fucking eye patch. I, how, <laughs> how could we have covered three films in a row where a character is featured prominently with an eye patch? I don't know. I have no what idea. It's, it's, it, it's become our thing. Rape uh, and eye, eye patches. and rape. <laughs> <laughs> now we just got to cover. Like, what the hell? You know what we got to do is cover the, the combination of a two-collar one-eye. <laughs> Oh, there you go. Yeah, that that is the best combination of the two. <laughs> oh man, um, what else do I got here? Um, Ichiko to me sounded like sort of a young Japanese Kathleen Turner. Yeah, she has this hoarseness to her voice that I found. Uh, well, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I found it uh, attractive and oh, interesting I did too. Uh, when she would get upset, it kind of break a little bit, and it really kind of endeared me to her character. And she plays this character, and this is a Japanese film, so she plays this character very broad. Mm-hmm. Very, uh, you know, making ugly faces, chewing gum a lot, things like that. Now, she's not an ugly girl at all, but you never really see her smile in the film. Uh, there are some moments when you see her smile in other areas of... Well, it's not in the film. I can say that because it's not giving anything away, is it? I mean, there's a, like a in-credit sequence where you see them kind of just hanging out, and it's uh, it's really interesting. Yeah. I think I can say that. I don't no, think it gives anything away. And you kind of see it's like a photo shoot, like maybe some publicity for the film or something. You see these two girls smiling and having a good time and stuff, and she's really that's why that's why I was really touched by her because I was like, even though you don't think this acting's that great at first, because like I said, it's very broad. Uh, you kind of can see that you know she was really you know. Really, really working really hard to be that way because she's not naturally. She doesn't naturally look. Oh, like she's that. certainly a, a stereotype of, of a character, and you know she's part of a, a girl biker gang, which is something that I always get a kick out of in the Japanese films. Um, and they're called <laughs> a girl, girl moped gang, or girl, yeah, that's a more uh, accurate description. A girl moped gang, and the, the gang's called the Ponytails, <laughs> with the most uh, with the least aerodynamic seating <laughs> arrangement of all time. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> a lot of wind resistance, folks. <laughs> folks. Oh, man, you're not getting no gas mileage on that thing. <laughs> to give you a visual idea, it's like she taped a surfboard to the back of it vertically. <laughs> yeah, that's what it, it looked uh, like. <laughs> yeah, it really was. Uh, and I like that Momoko calls her out on it because she keeps her bike, her bike, and, and Momoko's like, uh, that's a scooter, <laughs> which I like. Yeah. And uh, I just, I really, I actually really love the sort of, the odd, I mean, it's very obvious, but just the how odd couple uh, Ichiko and Momoko were in the film. You know, you could not get any more odd couple than them. Yeah, yeah. You'll hear me talk about the uh, the girls again a little later. Okay, I'll try and zip through what I got here. Uh, an observation I had was I've never seen a bedroom in a film as pink and frilly as Momoko's. That's true. The only one I've ever seen like that before is that uh, webcam picture you sent me of your bedroom. But other than I, that, no, I've never seen Well, I was going to say mine comes close. <laughs> 
but mine's lavender. <laughs> mine's lavender with the frills, not pink. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, and further to this, Momoko has this great lunch box. It almost looks like one of those those big Valentine's chocolate boxes with the frill around the outside, like the, the, the frilly trim. Yeah, yeah, there's a, uh, well... I was going to say this statement, but I don't know if I should say it, but there is a lot of trim in this film. Oh, there is. Well, that certainly is a double meaning, and I would agree with you on both fronts. Yeah, double entrande there. That, uh, mm. Whoops. Whoops. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I did think this film has a really great message, and this is why I mentioned it for Doc, because it's a real sort of girl power message, and there's no... Um, in the girl gang, um, Chico talks about they can't do drugs, they can't be loosey-goosey kind of tramps, um, you know, which I thought was, uh, which is where I was going with it, like we touched on. So that was why. Um, what else do I got here? Oh, the pompadour, but I'm sure you'll talk about it, so I won't talk about it. Yeah, I have an interesting comment about the pompadour. I want to see if you got the same vibe I got, so Fair. let's just wait. <laughs> I will say that the pompadour, and it is the fucking pompadour, uh, I love the rhinestones on his cowboy boots, his white leather cowboy boots. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. Those are awesome. Um, you and I had mentioned this on a technical side. I thought this film would look absolutely incredible in Blu-ray. Yes, this movie uh, lends itself to high definition big time. High contrast colors, uh, well-framed shots. It would be beautiful on Blu-ray. Yes. yes. Ab- not that it's not beautiful on regular DVD. It is, but it would be. Uh, it's one of those films that you would uh, say, oh, yeah, you don't think Blu-ray looks better? And then you pop that in and you'd be like, whoa. Yeah, yeah, it would really be incredible. Um, I liked that the grandmother, you know, you you had touched on this a few episodes ago. I think it was in our review of Eastern Condors, how, or maybe it wasn't, maybe it was something since then. <clears throat> Sometimes characters that are slow, oh no, it was in SPL, you talked about it. They're played very broadly and, and very un-PC, um, but I liked that they did have the grandmother... Um, she had a lot of redeeming qualities, and she wasn't this inept, useless, babbling idiot that at times she appeared to be. Yeah, yeah, and she's got a great payoff, which I won't give away in the story uh, that I didn't expect. Uh, it's it's more tastefully done than the Kill Zone uh, yeah. <laughs> performance, which was like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I love the fact that she also catches uh, dragonflies and bugs like uh, Danielson, except she does it with her hands. Bare hands, yeah, which is very impressive. Um, <laughs> it's awesome. I don't know if I'm giving anything away. Mm. No, I don't think this is giving anything away. There's a scene when Momoko goes just bananas, which I... Th- Do you think I'm giving anything away by getting into that? Uh, I don't know. Let's talk about it a little bit, and we'll see as we go. Uh, there's a scene where she goes bananas, which, as the film's gone on, seems very out of character for her, because she talks about how being... Uh, and sort of buying into this whole Rococo notion... Um, that it's it's not very feminine to stand up for yourself and and uh, and be loud and obnoxious. <clears throat> Excuse me, but there's a scene where she goes just bananas that I, I really I loved a lot. I thought it was really cute and uh, it was a really oh okay. I, I was thinking of the scene. I know what you're talking about. No, I don't think it gives anything away because you're just talking about a certain scene. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't tell you where it is in the film. So no no no. I really like that scene too though. Yeah, it was especially some reaction shots from the other girl. <laughs> yeah, that was. <laughs> That, yeah, it was. It went so well with it, you know, uh, because she, along with you, as the viewer, are feeling the same thing. Yes, yes, uh, that's that's the the main reason for that reaction shot, which I think is it looks pretty much like the same reaction shot over and over and over again. Yes, uh, 
it's really nice because that is the way you are feeling at that moment. You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> this is coming out of nowhere. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, those are all the notes I have. I would talk about it a little bit longer, but admittedly, we're running a little bit long. Um, and I know you probably have a fair amount of things to say about it. Yeah, I got a few things I can add to it and stuff. Uh, one of my favorite lines in the film is when they're talking about the gangster area of town and uh, where they say they are born in tracksuits and they die in tracksuits. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Very, uh, you know, New Jersey-like. I like that everybody's wearing tracksuits, man. It's like watching The Sopranos. <laughs> yeah, that was really funny. That was really awesome. Yeah, you know? that was really funny. Uh, I love also that uh, as sweet as Momoko is, that she's not beyond lying to get some cash. Yeah, and she just had these great oh, stories and stuff, and very manipulative to her dad, you know. And of course, her dad's going to overcompensate because the mom left and and stuff like that. So, and there's actually a great yep. payoff with the mother and the dad. A uh, great moment of vengeance. That's all I'll say for the dad. So, <laughs> oh, it, it is wonderful, yes. and it's the way any of us. <laughs> Would react yes. in his position. Yes, it's true. Yeah, I love the name of the store being Baby the Starshine Bright. I really love that. Uh, i tell you something we didn't touch on that I really thought was very cool, and I don't know how you felt about it, but the animated stuff in the film was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, and in fact, there's a moment in the film when uh, Momoko says, well, so you're not bored, kids. Let's do this flashback in animation. Yes, and yes. It it is really fun. they got kind of these little high-pitched voices and... and uh, it's, it doesn't try to be realistic in terms of human proportions or anything. It's just this zany kind of Japanese uh, yeah, animated style. Yeah, it was very entertaining. I mean, uh, usually sometimes when animation breaks into a live-action film, I'm a little... It can't, it'll wear out its welcome really quickly, but this one was actually quite fun. And I actually was almost sad to see it go, because it, the animation is almost as insane as the uh, film itself. Well, I think <laughs> if ever a film is going to jump uh, around in terms of styles and so forth... This is the film to do it, and it seems like a smoother transition because of the kind of film it is and the spirit of the film. Yeah, I mean, we talked about Hausu, and, you know, I wasn't uh, particularly overwhelmed by Hausu. I mean, it, it was kind of underwhelming for me because the director, I felt, was, you know, let's just see, you know, i got a blank canvas here. I'm going to take some balls of paint, and I'm just going to throw it at the canvas, and whatever happens, happens. This film, I felt like there was a logic behind all these styles and all the different cuts and the animation and... Uh, the dresses and the high contrast uh, colors and everything. This is not the type of film. I'll be honest with you. This is not the type of film. If I would have just saw the uh, the DVD, I would have ever seeked it out because it just didn't look like it had anything for me well, at all. I, I agree, it didn't, and it doesn't on the surface. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to cover it because mm -hmm. it's such a wonderful, fun film. That on the surface, holds nothing for us, and I think that's where we had even first. Uh, breach the subject on air because I'd said to you off air I wanted to cover it at some point but I think on air was when we talked about Hosu and if it was going to be remade that um, perhaps uh, the kind of director that could do it well would be Tsuya Nakashima the director of this right right uh, yeah I could see that actually and I would like to see him take a shot at it what the hell I mean be awesome rein it in a little bit uh huh uh, I counted uh, four headbutts <laughs> <laughs> That were just, uh, they come out of nowhere, and every time they came out of nowhere, they just made me laugh yeah. like you wouldn't believe. They were just great. <laughs> yeah, the headbutts were, were a good little running thing with uh, with the the giver and the givee. Yeah, very funny stuff, man. I mean, it was just great. All right, so I don't have a, most of my notes you already went over, so I don't have a whole lot left. But let's go over the pompadour. Now, the first time you see the pompadour... And this might just be me, and I might just be a weirdo again. I've said this before. 
But the first time I saw it, I'm going to be honest with you, I thought it was a a black dildo because I didn't know what the hell it was. Oh wow! <laughs> it took a minute for me to realize it was hair. <laughs> well, let let's start with the the unleashing or unveiling of the pompadour. This pompadour is so pompadourious <laughs> that it takes the camera a few seconds to pan from its tip to where you actually see the guy's head. They 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 call yes. him the unicorn for good reason. <laughs> yes. If I was to freeze frame that and put that up on the boards and not tell anybody what it was, uh Stefan would probably contact me and tell me I cannot post pornography on the boards. <laughs> I never got that vibe admittedly. I could see where you would. Um I, I again, I just think I think there's something wrong with me. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> it's too much cinema diabolica. That's what yeah, the problem is. That, that, that probably is what it is. Uh, All because of F thirteen and DZ. I see dong and everything. Dong in everything. It's like, what do you see in this uh, inkblot? Dong, <laughs> dong. <clears throat> but it is an impressive pompadour. Uh, the character is very interesting, uh, and there's some stuff about the character that I won't give away because it's some interesting things. But uh, yeah, and then you know they go to these uh, pachinko. I think it's how you say pachinko. Yeah. Ain't that, that the game yeah. they play? And they're in these pachinko arcades and stuff, and he always shows up there. And he's just a well. I mean, if anybody acts over the top in this film more than anybody else, it's him. I mean, he really goes for it, and it's it's pretty awesome. I love when he like turns to go out of a door. You know, he has to turn at ninety degree <laughs> angles because his pompadour is so big. <laughs> yeah, and you can actually hear a whipping noise. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is an impressive piece of hair. Uh, you never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like it. It's not even uh, like uh, uh, Brad Pitt in uh, that one film oh, he did. Uh, I can't remember uh, the name of it now. Off the top he of my could head. not be cool. Um, was, uh, Johnny something, maybe? Right. Johnny Handsome? No, no, it wasn't Johnny Handsome. No. Johnny... Why, why, why are we having so much? Oh, it was... Uh... Oh, you don't mean Cool World. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was a it was a Tom DiCillo film. And... Oh, fuck. This is not entertaining uh, podcasting. But if anybody out there knows the name of that film, uh, send it my way. I can look it up, but, you know, I'm too lazy right now, so... I will say, if there's any doubt or question as to the magnificence of this pompadour, Elvis, in his prime, would weep openly at the majesty of this pompadour. Yes, yes. John Holmes would weep openly about the magnificence of this pompadour. (laughs) (laughs) That's really the only thing I could compare it to, which obviously I have done. Long Dong Silver would weep openly. At the majesty of this yes, it was just insane, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I was really surprised, and I'll be honest with you, man, I was really surprised at how much I like this film. Uh, it really starts in a way, and I'm like, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to like this or not. Uh, you know, I'm not a, even though we do a podcast and we're, you know, makeshift critics and stuff, I'm not a cinematic snob. I'll watch anything, but uh for about 10 15 minutes in the beginning i thought i don't know if i'm gonna like this or not man and uh i'm gonna i'm gonna barrel barrel through this and see if i do like it and sure true enough it, by the time it got to the end and stuff i really fell in love with these two girls and uh a lot of things that happen in this film so i appreciate you uh recommending this because this was a great recommendation i had never seen it and i probably never would have seek uh you know seeked it out otherwise well, that's what it's all about, you know. You and I um, exposing each other and uh, and our listener, you know, sort of that whole circle jerk. Uh, <laughs> I talked yeah. about exposing. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, you know, all of us sort of opening each other. Uh, that doesn't work much better. Uh, just yeah, giving each other the opportunity to view films that we wouldn't otherwise, or or to move it up on our, our to watch list. Like I said, Stone Cold was dead and buried to me until you brought it back, and mm. 
you know, I'm glad we can uh, sort of bounce these off each other and our uh, our listeners. Yeah, yeah, because it's always great when you. That's really the reason why you do this. I mean, uh, Stone Cold has kind of become a little thing now on the Pop Syndicate boards and stuff. And on No Place to Hide, he uses it for his avatar. Uh, uses uh, Mr. Bosworth and uh, uh, Bill's done a lot of stuff involving the Stone Cold stuff. And he inter- interviewed uh, William Forsythe and talked about Stone Cold. That's what we do this kind of stuff for. So people will go out and say. Hey, you know what? I heard the show, man. These guys talk about this movie. I was like, it sounds like garbage, but I, I got to check it out because they really loved it. <laughs> you know. Well, it's funny, you know, because people have often said in emails and stuff that when we've given a show the sort of gentleman's treatment to sound a little pretentious, uh, they have gone back and watched it, or they've, they've paused, given pause, and thought maybe I got to give this another viewing, or, or it, it compels them to watch it. And that's what I love because, you know, it's about our obviously our love of film and, and different kinds of film. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to kick it over to you for your uh, make or break in your MVT. I'm curious as to where you're going to go with this because uh, we haven't talked about this film at all until we hit record tonight. So I'm kind of curious as to where you think uh, your MVT and make or break was. All righty. Uh, my make or break, um, it was really, really hard for me to pick a make or break because there's just so much going on in this film that I love and pff, I, I couldn't really pick anything. So to me, it was the, the opening five minutes of the film with the Rococo history lesson and and the rewind of her birth and her life and mm-hmm. and uh, the whole voiceover and her up in the air with her feet over her and the pachinko parlor balls falling out of her pockets and <laughs> and the adorable way she says, baby, the stars shine bright. Um, yeah, balls falling out of her pocket so, sounds more naughty than it actually is. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And it's got this music that I just love playing over it that they use a few times in the film. Um, and it really set the tone for me in terms of what I was in for uh, as far as the film. So that's my make or break. Yeah, in terms of an MVT, um, you know, I, I would want to say uh, the relationship or dynamic between the two characters because it is really sweet, the friendship that these two girls, in spite of their distinct differences, um, you know, they come to, to really love each other as friends, of course. Uh, it's not that kind of movie. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they really, you know, it's just about their friendship. That, that, that was something I considered, but... I gotta go with the director Tetsuya Nakashima because to make a film like this and to throw everything in, including the kitchen sink, uh, it's a tightrope walk because it left you cold with how Sue. Um, whereas with this one, it seems to be you've looked at it a lot more favorably and and throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks can be a tricky proposition. Um, but he nailed it a lot more than he didn't with this, and there wasn't too many things in this that I thought didn't work. So I gotta give him credit. Uh, where it's due because uh, right. you know it was, it was wonderful for him to do that um, my score for the film was a solid 8 out of 10 I think this is a very very good film that in spite of its surface um, plot has a lot to offer fans of film and fans of, of genre film or fans of uh, world cinema um, I just think it's a wonderful <laughs> you know sweet little film that is a good palate cleanse from all the, the grime and grit that we uh, we usually dig into yeah, I have to agree with that. It's like a uh, nice, sweet piece of candy. Mm-hmm. All right, so for my make or break, I'm going to go with a sequence that I believe looks like it was shot on a Super 8 camera. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, and that piece of music. I don't know if that's the same piece of music in the beginning or not, but uh, it's like a little pop song. I don't know what it is, but I really, really liked that uh, moment with them walking through the city, and it was very lyrical and very kind of you know magical, showing their friendship developing and things. And it really, really sucked me in uh a lot and i really i really like that quite a bit my mvt is going to be the chemistry between the girls i really fell in love with these two and uh 
like I said, it started slow for me, which is weird because your uh, your uh, make or break was kind of the first five minutes of the film. But for me, it was kind of rough that first five mm-hmm. minutes, and that, that's the, that's the weird part about that. So that's interesting that it went that mm-hmm. way. Uh, by the end of the film, though, I mean, my kid, they, I, I was just totally in love with these two characters, and I didn't want the film to end. I guess to give you uh, give you an idea how much I really fell in love well, with them. So that's always a good sign when you don't want it to end. You're right, and I will say that I think either because this is based on a, I think it's. Uh, a manga, or it's based on something. I think either there was a TV follow-up, or there was a rumored sequel, or something like they investigate the two of them investigate a murder case or <laughs> something. I, I don't know awesome. what it was, but I heard that <laughs> somewhere, and I hope to God it happens because uh, it'd be fantastic to see them, uh, you know, on the on the scooter with the pink surfboard again. Well, I know that the girl that played Momoko, she's actually in the new Mike film coming out. Yeah, she, Man. she has a pretty what prominent role in Yatterman, actually. Yeah, I think she's the star of Yatterman, Man, as a matter of well, fact. I'm so looking for, for that. Should be interesting because we know with Mike, it's a roll of the dice. Yes, it certainly <laughs> is. And I just one thing very quickly before just before you give me a rating, a uh, little piece of trivia: Anna Suchia, who plays I said this to you off the air, who played uh, Ichigo, the uh, bike gang girl, uh, she did the Japanese voiceover work for Lindsay Lohan's character before he loaded. I thought that was pretty cool. Awesome. It's probably more entertaining to watch that film in Japanese it than it is in American. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so my rating for the film is also an 8 out of 10. I really love this film more than I thought I was going to. This is one of those pleasant surprises, another one that we've had since we started doing the show. Uh, one I can say thank you for recommending, and I know we have one listener out there at least who is going to be very happy that we covered this because we've had some email communication with that individual. So hopefully, you know, I'm not going to say the person's name because I don't want to, you know, if they want to give it away, they can give it away. But uh, if so, send us an email or a voicemail and let us know what you actually think of this film overall. In fact, send us a voicemail. I'm going to ask for a voicemail. Yeah, or maybe we should dare. I dare you to send a voicemail. I, no, I double dog dare you. <laughs> yes. And oh. happy birthday. Yes. Yeah, Early go. birthday. Yeah, happy birthday. And also, uh, that, that well, I mean, not also, that's all pretty much it. So two eights and uh, a high recommendation. This has been a really good show. I mean, this is... All eights and eight point fives and happiness and all this great stuff and candy and just and buckshot stars in the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fish farming. I mean, hell, it's been great. <laughs> Nothing goes better together than like some sweet candy and the smell of fish in the morning. So, <laughs> oh, absolutely. So absolutely. we are going to take our last break, and when we come back, we'll do our feedback, which we have a huge feedback section. So, hello, gentlemen. It's Doctor J and KK. And we're calling in to discuss and put a nail in the coffin of KK Gate. So, as many listeners probably know, about three weeks ago, maybe a little longer, KK and I sat down and we started watching Return of the Killer Tomatoes. And what happened when we were watching it, KK? Daddy had to turn it off. Why did that happen? Because they were treating the girl unfair. Okay. And uh, did you suffer any harm from this? No, not at all. Were you embarrassed? Nope. Were you upset? Nope. Were you hurt? Nope. Was any harm done to you at all? Nope. And was Samurai to blame? Nope. Was Big Willie to blame? Nope. Okay. KK watches what I allow her to watch. She's still eight years old. I am the one that is responsible for what KK sees. I am the one to blame if she sees something that's inappropriate, and I take full responsibility for it. When Sammy and Big Willie recommended this movie for us, KK and I went into it with the same approach that we went into the very first movie we reviewed for The Gentleman's Guide. 
the first time that KK and I reviewed a movie for The Gentleman's Guide. We did so knowing that Sammy and Big Willie do not have small children. They wanted to get a parent and primarily a small child's opinion of the movie. That's the way we've approached every movie since. So when this movie was recommended, we approached it as we always have. I looked at the movie. I didn't preview the movie as I normally do, but we started the movie and quickly decided it just wasn't for us. That does not mean that my decision that this is not kid appropriate would apply to every parent. However, when raising my daughter, it is my opinion that she should not be exposed to movies where it treats women in a way that I would not want her to be treated. I don't ever want her to feel she should ever accept being treated as less than equal by any man. That's the only reason I turned off the movie. The only reason. <laughs> now, when I posted this on the forums, I did so just to make note of my opinion. I didn't do so to put blame on Sammy or Willie or make this fodder for podcast wars for the last three weeks. And I'm sorry that that's happened. Now, to put another question to rest, KK. Do you listen to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema? Not all of it. Only my area. You only listen to the parts where you're calling in and how people react to you? Yeah. Do you listen to the rest of it? Nope. Do you know what they talk about? No. Do you care? No. Okay, why? Because it's adult business. Yes, it's grown-up material. And so I don't want anyone to be worried about what KK may or may not hear on the podcast. The most important thing I have learned from this whole thing, though, is just how many people out there in the gentleman's audience really and truly care about KK and what she's exposed to and what she goes through. How does that make you feel, KK? Great! Yes, you're very well loved out there. Anyway, anything else you want to say, KK? Thanks for your concern, Big Willie, Sam Ryan, everyone else. Okay, thank you guys. We'll keep calling into the shows, and we'll call into a review pretty quickly. It's been a busy time for us around the office with cold and flu season, but KK and I intend to get back in the swing of things as soon as everything calms down around here. So, so long, guys. Listener feedback. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as I just don't think that song will ever get old. Never. <laughs> just so much fun every time I hear it. Uh, the only thing I need is uh, Carl Douglas himself dancing around in my room here with me. That'd be awesome. Have you ever seen, the, have you, have you ever seen the video for this uh, song? The guy actually performing this song? I I may have I can't recall I I watched a lot of music videos in my youth. Yeah, go you go to YouTube sometime and look it up. I'm sure it's on there. Uh, it is classically cheesy. <laughs> classically cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we are going to break into some feedback here. Uh, we got some email. We got some voicemails. Actually, we got quite a bit because we didn't get to get all of it out last time. So, uh, do you want to kick it off, or would you like me to kick it off? Uh, which way you want to go? I'll kick it off. I'm just trying to see where I should begin. I think it's with the the Esky Bronson trivia one. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. 
This is from our good friend, The Naked Eskimo. Uh, the title is Bronson Trivia. I was looking up Bronson on IMDb and found something very interesting. Tom Hardy, who plays Charles Bronson, was also the lead villain in Star Trek Nemesis. He was absolutely electrifying in Nemesis, so that just makes me more excited to see Bronson now. Anyway, I just thought that was cool. Make it Eskimo. That is cool. And actually, as we were recording this, I just found another interesting tidbit that they're trying to make a Hawk the Slayer, uh, I think that's the name of the film. We're actually going to cover it at some point. Uh, they're going to make a sequel, and Mr. Hardy has actually been cast in that film as well. So uh, this guy's really picking up some steam. <laughs> yeah, he really is. And for those of you confused, Bronson, it's not a film about uh, the Polish hammer with the awesome mustache. Uh <laughs> it's not our one of our idols. It's about uh, a British. I think it's a, sort of a true story, but a a British criminal uh, named Charles Bronson. Um, and I will say yes. this: uh, speaking of Tom Hardy, I recently watched Rock and Rolla, which I adored, uh, and he was great in it. So um, I'll probably mention Rock and Rolla more on our year end show. Um, so I won't say too much, but nice. uh, yeah, he's a guy I'll definitely be watching now because he's he's very charismatic and is certainly good and has got some good projects on on the table. Awesome. <clears throat> All right, so we're going to go into our next email, which is from Ghetto Tim, uh, one of our good pals uh, on the in the well, I guess that's the far east or far west. Uh, either way, who cares? It, <laughs> he's way out there. Let's put it that way. <laughs> way far away from us. All right, so he says, uh, greetings and salutations, Willie and Sam. First off, let me say that this is my first line I'm dropping on you guys, so I hope it doesn't seem like I'm blowing my proverbial load. I've been with uh, the GGTMC from the get and didn't think it was possible, but you guys did it. You reached the pinnacle and are now on a personal level I've reserved specifically for such things as the first cold beer after work. Uh, we'll just say a nice packed <laughs> bowl, that's all we'll say. Uh, chicken, <laughs> chicken fried steak and uh, vintage hustler magazines. Yeah. Both of you go at each episode with a style and enthusiasm that can only be compared to a young Peter North. <laughs> you don't mess around and get right to it and always leave a payoff. Yes. <laughs> with the ass kissing out of the way, let me make a few comments. Uh, number one, good call on JCVD. I wonder if his monologue was legit. I mean, the waterworks were real, as was a lot of his admissions about his less than great start in Hollywood and his infamous fuck-ups. I thought it was pretty admirable that he was willing to allow himself to be shown with his dick in the dirt. Not that he has hard to fall. I'd love to see someone like Tom Cruise or Travolta do something like this. Good comparison with Rourke and The Wrestler, too. Uh, number two, there's a ton of what-the-fuck films like House out there for your viewing pleasure. And I figured I'd pop off a few must-see mindfuck films, in my opinion. All of these films are batshit insane, and you will not forget them. Number one, the story of Ricky, uh, insane comic book ad adaptation of uh, like war versus Mortal Kombat. Uh, yeah, that's kind of what it's like. Uh, number two is uh, Society. It's Brian using the film. Wicked take on the class system with totally fucked effects by Screaming Mad George. I lost friends over this one. Uh, number three, The Boxer's Omen, my favorite Shaw Brothers film of all time. Must be seen to be believed. You must cover this for the show. And number four, Mystics in Bali. Uh, warped Indonesian voodoo with uh, flying vampire heads, bizarre. See, so that's basically all he really goes over. Uh, let's see here. Basically, he just says he's with Will about buying the uh, Hasu on disc. Uh, we all need to support this insanity. He says, and uh, that's his, you know, that's his piece for now. But definitely won't be the last. And oh, by the way, I owe you two buggers a few cold beers for making a 13-hour flight from Detroit to Tokyo all the more bearable. Keep spit shining the trash. Regards, Ghetto Tim. Well then, I I love that line. Keep spit shining the trash. Um, I gotta say yeah. that's some very high praise, Tim. Uh, to compare us to a young Peter North, uh, I don't take that compliment lightly because we all know the zest and zeal and vigor that a young Peter North brought to the uh, brought to the table. Um, 
as for what he said in terms of the films, I love Story of Ricky. Uh, it's a great, great, great film, and I'm sure we'll cover down the line at some point. We probably only haven't thus far, because our good friends at Cinema Diabolic have covered it. Um, Society I've never seen. I, I'd be keen to see it. Um, other than that, uh, again, we appreciate, uh, or we dig that we made your flight bearable, uh, Tim, and, and we'll do our best to keep spit shining the trash and go at it like a young yeah, Peter North. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if North brings the vim and vinegar or if he brings the warm yogurt. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it, it's quite the, uh, the the rope of yogurt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to give you an incredible yeah, visual. It's not a pearl necklace. That's like a pearl jump rope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, that's enough of that. Yeah, man. <laughs> But thank you, Tim, and we're glad you finally uh, called. And Tim yeah, has been around the block uh, a few times and knows his stuff, so we're glad to hear from him and that he likes our show. Yes. Uh, we are next with, I think it's Spot. Yes, that's it. All right. Spot writes in and says, Genre Cinema 101. Well, guys, I was wondering what your guys' take would be on a few films I could show people as a de- decent intro into genre cinema. I try to get together with friends weekly to watch movies, and I'd like to propose some decent films that are fairly accessible to folks who aren't exposed to much outside of the norm. Top ten list, or even a couple films that you saw that got you interested in Midnight Cinema would be great if you have the time. I'll run down a very short list of some notables that I've shown to other people with mixed results. should have mentioned that if you like a movie, or if I like a movie, I will not hesitate to show others, for better or worse. Feel free to leave this section out if you need to. Uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man, uh, one of my favorite films. This one's a very derisive viewing people either loving it or hating it, wish you guys would cover it in depth. I've only ever heard CD go over it in a mini-review. My cousin was emotionally scarred by this one, I think, much to my amusement. <laughs> uh, Dolomite and, uh, and the Human Tornado. Mm. Some Vintage Journey Hudson and Human Tomato. Human Tomato, well. <laughs> Human Tornado and the incomparable Mr. Rudy Ray Moore. I think most people can enjoy these films on some level. Master of the Flying Guillotine, easily in my top ten kung fu films and by far the best of the guillotine series. Everyone I've showed this to enjoys the movie. Dolph Lundgren's The Punisher. Yes, this is pretty mainstream 80s action flick, but I see it as a bit of genre and a definite revenge film. This version of The Punisher is still my favorite, even after all these years and a couple remakes. Dolph was good as always, if a little soulless, and the violence is gratuitous and over the top as it should be. Ray Stevenson's portrayal wasn't bad, but the movie had other issues. Truck Turner. I love this movie, as I hope uh, came across in my email a few weeks back, and so far has been very well received. Everyone who has seen this has really gotten into it, and I've recommended The Gentleman's Guide to them. Once again, thanks for the entertainment and the knowledge. Spot. Yeah, it's hard to argue with some of these films he talks about. Uh, Tetsuo is, uh, can be damaging for people who aren't inter- interested in that type of material. Uh, don't know if that'd be the first one I'd show to somebody, because you might lose them. No. <laughs> no. It, you're, yeah, you're, you're basically plunging them in the deep end. they got to get their toes wet a little bit first. And, and uh, Corey, what I'd like to do is, if I may, um, I'd like to take some time to give you a decent list. Mm. Before we go any further, I'll say that. I know you asked for one. I know I, if uh, we're going to keep this email in the inbox as a reminder so I can maybe throw together a list for you here. Yeah, the only other thing that really jumps out at me is uh, good for you for the truck turner. Uh, push this film as much as possible. More people need to see that movie, period. Uh, it's awesome. That's all I'm going to say. And uh, Master of the Flying Guillotine, I'm going to have to agree with you. It's easily in my top ten kung fu films of all time. I don't know if it's in yours or not, Will, but it's definitely in mine. Uh, yeah, it's, if not, it's flirting with it. It is a great one. Um of course, Rudy Ray Moore is the man, yep. I think, despite the technical shortcomings, great films. <laughs> and I will just say this about Dolph Lundgren, I punish the week. <laughs> yes. 
the way I feel about Dolph Lundgren is everything he does and touches is gold in some way. And uh, we are looking at a uh, review of his latest film, which is Command Performance, whenever we can get a hold of a copy of that. So, so if anyone has a screener, whoever is putting that out, and you'd like us to cover it on, on our show, we'd be happy to do so. If you want to shoot us an email and, and let us know, we'd be thrilled to cover it. Thrilled. Yes, thrilled is putting it lightly. I'd tiptoe through the tulips for that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our next email is from Mr. Sean over at HorrorCommentary.com. He says, hello, my most excellent gentleman. Haven't gotten back to you on this for a one for a while, but the weirdness in my life has caused me to be without internets for quite some time. But I have managed to download every every week, and as always, loving what you guys do. Killzone and the Big Rocket sound particularly awesome, and Django <coughs> is sitting at my house in a blue envelope waiting to be discovered. Just finding the time to watch it has been a challenge, but you guys know a little bit about that yourself, I'd gather. But right now, I'm going to wax poetically about the total awesomeness that is Mr. Paul Nashi, a small, portly cherub of a man who just happens to be the Spanish horror equivalent of James Bond, a director, producer... Right, uh, writer, actor, who made some of the cheesiest mo- but endearingly sleazy B-movies of the 70s. While Waldemir Daninsky, his Wolfman character, may be his most famous character, he didn't only play werewolves. He's played Hitman, Indian Gurus, Dracula, Weird Demon People, and my personal favorite, Satan Pants. More on that later. Satan Pants. Just remember that. Uh, most people would recommend Horror Rises from the Tomb, as you had mentioned, but I find that one to be more of a to be one of the more slower moving of Nashi's films, but I'd still recommend it, just not late at night. I'd start with Human Beast of the of one of the craziest Jello Yakuza action Spanish soap opera ish movies ever. A truly one of a kind horror action hybrid with a killer ending that has Nashi making out with more beautiful Spanish women than uh, Gil Gerard in the opening credits of the feature length Buck Rogers movie. <laughs> My personal favorite Daninsky werewolf flick, even though as you get more into him, you'll find most of their plots kind of string together, is Night of the Werewolf. It's the breeziest of the Daninsky flicks and one that interests me to Nashi. Uh, it respectively homage, um, homages uh, Lon Chaney while adding appropriate sleaze and pretty good gore and cheese factor for a fun romp. In short, right up the gentleman's alley. Um, the trippiest Nashi movie by far is Vengeance of the Zombies, owner of the preciously mentioned Satan Pants. You guys will know what I mean when you watch the movie, and if you do, I will tell you the story behind it. There's literally a ton more I could mention. The more recent Rojo Sangre is fantastic. The kind of movie Price made back in the day with the 21st century flair and, of course, Dracula's Great Love, which to me is up there with Daughters of Darkness as one of the most dreamlike vampire movies I've ever seen. Well, I'll end it there before this email starts to become a book. I know you guys have a ton on your plate, but I suggest that you try these on for size. I hope you enjoy them with as, mu- as much as I do. Keep up the awesomeness, uh, Sean. So there we go. <laughs> um, I'll say very quickly here. We're glad that you are keen on the show. Uh, I was going to say Paul. Uh, <laughs> Way to go, Paul. Sean. Yes, Mr. Nashi. And if we're mispronouncing that, someone let us know because we've been saying Nashi every week when it could be Nasky or something else. But uh, I'll say that this, um, what's it called? Uh, human Beast. Uh, human Beast. Uh, the combination of. Um, <laughs> Wow, I can't even read. Jalo uh, uh, Yakuza, Spanish soap opera, horror action, and lots of hot Latin women sounds like one of the most winning combinations of all time. Yeah, my curiosity is how the hell does the Yakuza fit into that thing at all? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good question because the Spaniards had made some Jalos and of course their soap operas are uh, stuff of legend. But Yeah, and then there's uh, <laughs> Latin women. I can see all of that, but I can't see the Yakuza part. No, I can't either, but I'm keen to see how they do fit in. And in fact, 
The second I read this email, I went to Zip, and it wasn't on Zip. And I don't know if it's on Netflix, Sammy, but you'll have to take a look soon because... Yeah, I'll have to look for it. Yeah, um, I will. I'd like to watch this. Never mind for the show. I want to watch this, like, yeah. you know, now, so... Um, yeah, I'll definitely knows, look for it. And if anyone knows where it is available, uh, certainly let us know. Yes, sir. I'll let you go ahead with the next one. Yeah, it is. It's from uh, him, Mr. Uh, Fake Shimp J. Yes. All right. Greetings from Doha, gentlemen. Whoa. <laughs> Dohas. It was great to get my computer up and get my fix onto my notes. Don't really have much to say about the features as I've not seen a one of them. And now I don't really want to see one of them. I don't really want to see one of them. Killzone cr- sounded great, though. Love me some Donnie and Sammo. I stopped watching Hong Kong films for the longest time because, as Willie said, I just felt they had run their course. There's only so much I can take for every Infernal Affairs. There's a dozen things. Slim Till Dead comes to mind for me. I can't think of the titles because they're not worth mentioning. Feedback. Intro music had me giggling like a schoolgirl. I don't know why. Ken Russell <laughs> equals awesome. Well, some films. Walter Hill equals awesome. Even if he did direct another 48 Hours. Luckily, he directed 48 Hours. So then Comfort is one of the movies I brought with me to Doha. So that just moved to the top of the list. Don't know if it had the booth in it. So double treat. Didn't know it had the booth in it. So double treat. The Naked Eskimo Files. <laughs> he continues the theme from the board here. I smurfing love Requiem for a Dream. I remember hearing people say that train spotting glorified heroin use. Heroin use. I never got that. I just say, did you see the AIDS in Dead Babies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> no kidding, man. Uh, after watching Requiem, I suddenly understood what uh, where those views were coming from. I love everything about Aronofsky. Yes, including the criminally underrated The Fountain, except for Pi. That sucked. Hmm. Sorry, Sammy. <laughs> you sounded a little like your spirit was broken there, Sammy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's getting ready to get broken again, underrated. I think. It's good, not great. In fact, I'm not a giant Kubrick fan in general. My favorite film of his is probably The Killing or Paths of Glory. After those, I'd most likely say Eyes Wide Shut, another criminally underrated flick. Yes! Love yeah. <laughs> love Natural Born Killers. Ollie is a fascinating director. When he hits, he soars. When oh, he doesn't, well, he doesn't. I've read the original script by QT and Ollie, and his screenwriter, who ironically was the tortured cop from Reservoir Dogs, <laughs> did it better. Great book to read, Killer Instinct by Jane, a uh, chick who produced the movie. Yes, Ollie was certainly onto something. Shakes the Clown is great. The review they use in the box is The Citizen Kane of Alcoholic Clown Movies. Indeed. His newest movie, World's Greatest Dad, starring Rob Williams, just got a rave review from Devin over at Chud. Um, People Under the Stairs is a giant piece of cellulite crap. I love Wes Craven, but in between his great movies, all of uh, of which there are a few... Sorry, guys, it's really late. My eyes are burning, so I'm kind of stumbling over this here. Uh, He stumbles pretty hard. I fucking love Deadly Friend. Now, growing up, I really wanted to slip my three-inch sixth-grade cock to Christy Swans. <laughs> so maybe that plays into it. As an adult, I still enjoy the movie and still want to slip my two-inch 35-year-old cock. <laughs> he lost an inch. He lost an inch. How did you do that? How did you? Ma- I don't want to know how you managed that. Um <laughs> Sure, Christy appreciates the fact that you want to slip your three-inch cock in there, uh, Jay. Nice. <laughs> I, I, uh, the last, the last time he bought Playboy. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't call it good, but I love it nonetheless. <laughs> I recommend reading the book Friend, which it was based off. Uh, great read that could easily make a good movie someday. Bleak. Now, when I said a long show was, you know, when I said what a long show was, 
Did you not hear me say I was excited? I was. Honestly, I could listen to you two fuckers talk all day long. Some days I have. Bring it on. Uh, this two-hour show did not disappoint. Love, Jay, who desperately is in need of a warm shower. Legion Ubralis. <laughs> yeah, he signed it Legion Ubralis. Uh, when you send us emails, Jay, try to sign it uh, GGTMC Minion or something. <laughs> yes, or I want to slip my three-inch cock to the sounds of... <laughs> Actually, no, don't say that. Uh, ack. Let's... Let's keep the small cock out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't want any part of small cock or big cock. Uh, Ack, I forgot to mention that I love me some Eskimo for hating on Taxi Driver. (laughs) Now I understand why he's a good filmmaker. Or now, I understand why he's a good filmmaker. I just don't tend to enjoy most of his films. As for calling it a study of loneliness, all I have to say is if I wanted to study loneliness, I'd just study my own fucking life. (laughs) Nobody needs that. Boring. I'd bang Jodie Foster, though. What? She's older than me. I wanted to bang her since Candle Shoe. Wow. Uh, oh, there's a great one for KK. Yeah, Later. The, shoe might, the Candle Shoe might be good for KK, but not that line. No, not at all. And Candle Shoe, wouldn't that have been that would that have been around three inch uh, time in Jay's life? For... Yeah, the three inch because he lost an inch in the intervening years. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> Love how he sounds it later, bitch, gentlemen. Yeah, I'm glad he refrained because got out a little class here, baby. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say. I've several my uh, takes on the Clockwork Orange and Kubrick, uh, the Wes Craven stuff. Yeah, I mean, I like. I think uh, we can discuss a little bit that you just uh, recently got a hold of a copy of Daily Friend. Did you not? No. Uh, oh, I thought I thought somebody did. Somebody I know did. Sadly, I didn't. I'd like to. Um, I will yeah, say somebody that, I know did. I might find out who I was. Ta- I was talking to. <laughs> uh, I will say that I finally watched my DVD of Clockwork Orange. I hadn't seen it since the VHS days. Nice. And uh, I'd said to you, just I wanted to either revisit or visit some classics um, that I just uh, I wanted to see with through adult sort of film fan eyes. And I got to say, man, Clockwork holds up as a, a fucking masterpiece in my eyes. Um, that opening is, is one of my favorite opening shots ever in a film. But uh, anyway, uh, Jay, appreciate it as always. And uh, keep rocking. Keep uh, rocking with your cock out in Doha. Yeah, and make sure you wash that two inch thing. There we go. You don't want to get no sand in there, man. <laughs> I don't know how much sand can get in a two inch. So we'll <laughs> it may take one, one grain, man. <laughs> Like a swift breeze, <laughs> knock him out, man. <coughs> oh, boy. All right, I'm going to go into our next email, which is from somebody named Brian. Who I think Brian might actually call... I don't know if he... I think he might actually call sometimes uh, outside the cinema, but I'm not sure if this is the same Brian or not. So mm-hmm. if I'm wrong, let me know. Didn't that... Sp- uh, greetings. Sorry, go didn't ahead. that Brian spell it with a Y? Uh, no, there's another Brian supposed with a Y. The reason why I say this is it seems like I just listened to a recent episode where there was a Brian that called in. He had an Irish brogue a little bit to his accent in this one. Ah, uh, okay. Says he grew up in Northern Ireland, so I could be wrong, and I might edit all that out. Anyway, it says, uh, greetings, fellas. Uh, just a quick note to congratulate you on a great show. Growing up in a one-horse town in Northern Ireland, there wasn't much opportunity to watch much genre cinema. I would say so. A couple of reasons being the rating system was strictly enforced, which made it near impossible to rent anything as a young nipper. I remember the only film I ever managed to rent underage was Mosquito Coast, and I near didn't get away with that. The other reason being that a load of stuff just never made it across the pond. So my point being that as a child standing in front of the horror section and salivating at the VHS covers but never actually getting to watch them, 
Now being older, I had almost <clears throat> forgot. <clears throat> I had mostly forgotten about all the missed greats until your podcast comes along, and I can rent whatever I want. Brill. Sorry, this is a bit of a crappy email, but I just thought I would send along my well done wishes. Tata, Brian. So. That's a new one for us, so we appreciate that, Brian. We really do, and uh, it wasn't a copy email at all. Uh, it was a great one, Brian. I will say this. You being northern, uh, from Northern Ireland, let me know if there's any good films available uh, about Gaelic football. You know, Being a sports fan, being a rugby fan, uh, I'd be keen to know if there's any Gaelic football films that uh, are reasonably well done that would give me a bit of a look into the sport because I'm not very familiar with it. Yeah, you know, I always feel bad. When I read these and I hear people say they grew up and they didn't get to watch a lot of John Rassim and stuff, I always think, oh, man, it's too bad. But then sometimes I think, you know, wouldn't it be great to be the age I am now, 35, going on 36, and not seeing a lot of this stuff, and it'd all be new to me again. That would be so awesome. I think you can make a pro and con for, for both age groups. Yep. For sure. Wouldn't be much of an interesting podcast, though, if I'd never seen anything. Just be like, whoa, I just saw this movie. Whoa, I just saw this movie. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> Uh, right. I guess it's I my guess turn. Go into the next one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, way to bring things to a halt. Well, uh, the next one is from Nathan, who I believe has never written into us before. Not that I recall, unless it's the Nathan that called us one time. <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah, I, I have a terrible memory, so I apologize if you have, Nathan. Uh, Nathan says, "Thank you. You guys put on such a wonderful show. It makes my commute to and from work so much more enjoyable. Your choice for the movies you review is simply amazing." Out of the podcast Trinity, or the Menage a Trois of podcasts, yours definitely has the best selection of genre movies. After listening to the show, I can't either wait to see the movies you discuss, good or bad, or I revisit ones I've already seen. My Netflix and torrent cues grow every week after listening to the show. It's such a pleasure listening to you guys talk about these movies. Your passion for genre cinema really comes out in the podcasts. Thank you so much for all your hard work, and I look forward to hearing many more reviews from Rick the Samurai and Big Willie. Nice. <laughs> yeah, it's become Rick the Samurai or Samurai Rick at this point. Uh, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> oh, no, I think, I don't know if this is uh, the same Nathan they called in before or not, but yeah, we are uh, definitely the menage a trois of podcasting. We are uh, right there with our boys in Cinema Diabolica and outside the cinema. So uh, make sure, you know, keep supporting those guys as well because we love them uh, as much as you can love people that do the same thing you do. I don't even know what the fuck that means. Either way. I'm not sure. <laughs> Yeah, and podcasts are terrible for Netflix cues. Uh, my Netflix, when I started listening to podcasts, Netflix cues just, it, my Netflix cues blew up. Oh, man, it really did. I remember when I was listening to, uh, even like, then Miles does the, and the social gang does like the uh, the year-end, or the Halloween spooktacular. They do 31 podcasts in 31 days. There's always like five or six movies added there, and then, you know, you go off on a tangent, and a movie gets added here and there, and... You know, yeah, podcasts are bad for that. But uh, Nate, Nathan, uh, thank you very, very much for the kind words. And you know, uh, you're the reason we do what we do. It uh, it makes us feel good to know that um, you know we help make your day flow a little better, man. So uh, you know, keep listening, and and you know, we encourage you to write in anytime you want with a question or otherwise. Don't ever feel like uh, it's a silly question or or anything like that. Right. Don't ever feel that way. Please don't. You, you'll, I can promise you we will never say, oh, you're a fucking idiot. You know, why would you ask that? You haven't seen uh, every Friday the 13th film nine times front to back and, you know, uh, synced it up with a uh, Deep Purple record? Like, you know. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't expect to hear a Deep Purple reference tonight. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. But, uh, yeah, keep keep uh, keep calling or. Call or write in, quite frankly, Nathan, and uh, keep listening. Yeah. 
All right, and our last email for the night before we get into our voicemails is uh, from Ghetto Tim again. This one's sent recently, so we thought we'd go ahead and get it out. And it's actually got some interesting things in it we wanted to mention anyway. So he says, hey, gents, I uh, hope you're wrapped up in those Naugahyde rugs with the Bacardi 151 close at hand. Uh, while it's not too bad here in Asia, I know it's colder than a mother-in-law's uh, love back home. <laughs> Baby-making weather if ever there was. Yeah, there you go. Uh, good call on SPL. Fuck the Killzone title. What the hell were the Weinsteins thinking when they when they even came up with the title? Dragon Dynasty. Might as well have called it Fortune Cookie Films or Chopsaki Cinema. Sure, Bay Logan knows his shit, but the whole label is just an embarrassment to fans of Asian cinema, if you ask me. All right, everyone's throwing into the uh, throwing into the hat uh, regarding uh, future films to cover. So here's my ten cents worth. Number one, I know someone mentioned Southern Comfort a few episodes ago, and it's always been up there on my list of films to cover. How about Hill's Swamp Saga back to the back to back with the Canadian Wilderness classic Rituals? Uh, saw Rituals at the drive-in with my folks as a kid, and it took me forever and a day to drag my ass into the woods again. You know, I've never seen Rituals. Nor have I. I don't think. Let me check that out. Uh, another double bill you guys should definitely look at doing is George C. Scott and Hardcore. Uh, that is a great pick, by the way. And uh, Gary Sherman's Grindhouse Nugget Vice Squad. <laughs> Paul Schrader has always been a favorite of mine for directing films like Blue Collar, Autofocus, and Affliction, but I think Hardcore is his masterpiece. He wrote Rolling Thunder and Taxi Driver as well, amongst a number of films. Uh, let me just say, first of all, that uh, before I ever start reading about Vice Squad, Vice Squad is definitely on the schedule. Uh, Hardcore is probably going to be added because I'd forgotten all about that film. So, uh, But Vice Squad is uh, its one we've been talking about since uh, July or August of last year. So it's definitely on there. And the reason why is because of what I'm getting ready to read here. Uh, Vice Squad is also another underrated nugget of the exploitation era that every genre-loving sleazehound must see at least once. Director Gary Sherman does not fuck around with with this one, folks. By the end of it, you'll feel like you've been marinating in the juices at the bottom of a garbage bag. <laughs> All thanks to the scene-stealing performance of one Wings Hauser as Ramrod the Killer Pimp. The word intensity, intensity does not do justice to Hauser's performance, and he makes someone like Ike Turner look like Clay Aiken. <laughs> uh, Gary Swanson plays the cop who's just as intense and is all over Ramrod like stink on shit. In times of need, I have cracked my grindhouse Bible and turned to the book of Vice Squad many times for comfort. Lower than a snake's ass, but oh so satisfying. I'm surprised you guys haven't mentioned Wingshauser in previous shows. I think we have. I think we had. While his name may not be familiar to many, he has done some genre films such as The Carpenter, Beastmaster 2, and Tales from the Hood. Hauser can also be seen in Tough Guys Don't Dance, the notorious adaptation of the Norman Mailer novel. The performance of Ryan O'Neill in this film is so fucking bad that you'd need to wash out your eyes with an equal mixture of bleach and piss just to be able to get over it. All I can say is, oh God, oh man, oh God, oh man. Well, I'll let you guys go, so keep your chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Your brother in sleaze, Ghetto Tim. It's it's good to know that I am not the only one who has seen this performance from Wings Hauser that I am going to argue to the day I die might be one of the top 20 greatest performances ever put to film. It's just it's just it, it's just it's scenery chewing to the to a degree you've never seen. I can't wait to see this talked about a Wings Hauser film I picked up where him and Frank Stallone uh, no was it Joy Travolta actually were uh, were yeah. car- co- partners? They were cops uh, taking on a bunch of youth gone wild uh, in a in a high school. Um, and you'd brought up Wingshauser and this film, and I cannot wait to see Ramrod in action, man. <laughs> yeah, it's on the schedule, Tim. Don't worry, uh, we will be covering it uh, 
this is an amazing piece of filmmaking uh, and performance art. There's just nothing like it, trust me. And if you guys can't wait until we cover it, just uh, rent it. It's on Netflix and uh, might be available on Zip as well. Look into it because uh, it is... <laughs> you'll just never forget Wingshauser after you see it. Every time you see Wingshauser from that point on, all you're going to think about is Ramrod. And he is Kohlhauser's dad, by the way. Yes. And we have mentioned him before, I'm sure, because I think I even mentioned him on uh, the casting for Inglorious Bastards. I might have. I don't know. Alongside your pick of uh, of the Goot. <laughs> yeah. Wingshauser and Gutenberg. That's a buddy cop film if I've ever seen one. There we go. All right, so we got some uh, voicemails here. Uh, some of them are kind of long, but we're going to play them all. And uh, we got a couple extra ones because we missed out on feedback last week. So just bear with us, guys. We're going to play this voicemail here from our buddy Octane. Greetings, gentlemen, or as we would say down here. Yeah, he's gone, all right? It's Octane from Sydney, Australia here. First-time voicemailer, long-time listener. have posted a couple of comments on the blog. Haven't really gotten onto the forums yet, but I will eventually one day. <laughs> Anywho, just wanted to say, uh, you guys were mentioning about John Goodman playing a bad guy a couple of weeks ago. I would recommend that you check out a movie called The Runner. Uh, it stars a younger, or well, when I say young, she was 35 at the time, Courtney Cox and Ron Eldard, who I think was in Saving Private Ryan. You've probably seen him around, you know his face. Anyway, um, who was I saying? Goodman plays this sadistic, it's about a, a guy who's a compulsive gambler who gets hired by this sort of shady character who's uh you know who runs this gambling empire he's got runners which are basically people who go and put bets on for him set up like a little mini corporation anyway um and it turns out that he um sort of embezzles money off this guy and starts you know gambling on his own and of course he loses and he uh, eventually you know loses more and more and more and keeps losing until one day the guy finds out of course <laughs> and uh it leads to a showdown in a baseball field with a sprinkler, which is quite interesting. Um, so uh, check that one out. He plays a real scumbag. He plays it very, very sedately, but it's, the guy's pretty menacing. Uh, it also stars Joe Montaigne and Bokeem Woodbine, who is, in my opinion, a very underrated actress. Actor. Sorry, not actress. Uh, as always, what else was I going to say? If you... Uh, oh, I have a few music suggestions if you are interested. Uh, I know that Sammy likes the old thrash. As do I. <laughs> Old 80s, you know, I'm a child of the 70s and 80s, so I grew up with, you know, Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, Exodus, Tank, you know, all those bands. Um, plus, of course, the old faithfuls like, you know, Iron Maiden, Motorhead, etc., etc. But what I've been getting into lately a lot of, is what they call folk metal, which is basically uh, a lot of it's Scandinavian, comes from Scandinavia, I should say, or that area, and Finland as well, which is not technically part of, which is not technically part of Scandinavia, um, even though a lot of people include it in there. Some bands to check out, uh, Enzofirum, band from Switzerland called Elvati, a uh, band from Holland called Heidevok, what else? Plenty of others. If you go on YouTube and just type in folk metal, you'll probably see hundreds of them. Uh, I've also just downloaded an album from a free CD from a band called Omnia, who are a uh, Celtic folk, sort of pagan, not not in any way metal, but it's kind of, you know, Celtic Celtic folk, if you know what Celtic folk is. Um, they're not bad, actually. They, they do a very interesting um, musical version of The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe, which happens to be one of my favourite uh, poems of all time. So you might want to check them out, too. They're on YouTube as well. Uh, anyway, that's about the size of it. So I shall catch you guys around on the flip side, as they say. Oh, um, just one more thing. I've just seen, uh, recently saw Repo the Genetic Opera. Hmm. Interesting. Different, I'll say that much. I probably won't be watching it again, but it was different. Definitely uh, different from a lot of the crappy, boring, cookie-cutter slasher movies that you get these days. Or, you know, straight-to-video zombie movies. Uh, I'm about to sit down and watch Tokyo Gore Police, so um, that'll be an interesting experience. I'll um, shoot you another voicemail maybe next week and uh, let you know what I think. Okay. 
That was Octane. So there we go. Uh, you got anything you'd like to add to that voicemail there? Yeah, actually, because we played this voicemail last week and it got lost again because of uh, technical difficulties, I did go and add that film, uh, The Reader, I think it was called, to my zip queue once I heard the voicemail. And I'm really pleased with the uh, the response we've gotten from that little question we threw out about uh, John Goodman. We got a ton of responses from it. And yeah. you know, I just, I, I love that when, when you know, our listeners uh, call and say, well, hey, man, uh, you know, you seen this? Or maybe you should check this out. And again, it just then our queue just starts growing like crazy. So it's, yeah, uh, it's really yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's as much as, we, you know, the queue grew when we started decided to do a podcast. It really <laughs> is uh, just, keep, it just keeps growing because everybody keeps recommending stuff. But, hey, that's what I love about this. So keep recommending films, please. Yeah, and, and we're glad you finally uh, called in, Octane. Uh, we look forward to your review of Tokyo Gore Police. Anything else you want to cover for us? Yeah, and uh, I'll go with Bill on his uh, review of uh, uh, Repo, which is uh, his first thing he instant messaged me was, Repo made me want to die. <laughs> so I did watch it. Uh, it's not for everybody. Uh, I didn't really like it, though. Average at best, but it's it's definitely not for everybody. So, Well, it sounds uh, like it's not for me either. So Yeah, yeah. and the Thrash, uh, I love all that stuff. Uh, thanks for the recommendations. I'll look through some of that stuff uh that stuff is actually heavier than the stuff I typically put on the show, so you probably won't hear much of that on the show because I don't want to hurt Will. <laughs> Even though we are doing it at night now, that stuff's pretty. Some of that stuff's pretty brutal, so we'll just keep it uh, I don't brutal. Know, I'd be brutal vocal wise is what I'm talking about. Oh, some of that fucking uh, stuff. I mean, I don't know. The, the pagan folk metal sound enticing enough. Yeah, I was supposed fine. to get some pagan folk metal from somebody. I think it was F13. He hasn't sent me any yet though, so I'm looking Maybe forward we'll to that. To throw some on the show, it sounds like quite the melding yes. of uh, like of Viking chants. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like the Swedish chef in the army. Yes, uh, I'm very embarrassed by that. Okay, we're gonna go. To, <laughs> we're gonna go with our next voicemail, which is from our good buddy Sean. Here we go. Well, hello, Mr. Rick and Large William. <laughs> Sean from Chicago, Colin. I just uh, wanted to let you know I went over for the shitty liquidation sale over at Circuit City, but did manage to find a few gems. And I was wondering what you guys thought about it. I actually got a double feature of uh, Alien Nation with Jimmy Kahn and Manny Patinkin and the great parent stamp and Enemy Mind, where a pregnant and apparently gay alien, Lou Gossett Jr., trying to make out with Dennis Quaid. I was wondering what you guys thought of these movies. Hope you guys are doing well. Uh, keep up the good work. I just got my internet back, so I'll be able to listen to you guys on a more uh, regular basis. And uh, uh, hopefully by the time everybody hears this, uh, at least Sammy's interview will be up on uh, the site. So hopefully you guys can go check that out. You guys are the best. And it was actually a really insightful interview. And not that I'm surprised. Sammy's a pretty insightful guy, but uh, it was a really good interview. So can't wait for everybody to read it. I'll talk to you soon. All righty. That was our good buddy, Sean. Uh, and, of course, now you can read uh, Willie's interview over there as well. Uh, that, that came right after that. Uh, yeah, uh, Alien Nation. Uh, I like Alien Nation. Uh, I think it's a pretty good film. Jimmy Kahn and Mandy Patinkin's a lot of fun. Uh, kind of a science fiction movie, but kind of like a gritty L.A. It's kind of like a science fiction movie if made by Michael Mann, maybe. So. That's a good uh, description. Yeah, and Enemy Mine, uh, I don't think. Louis Gossett Jr.'s character in that is gay. I think no. uh, it's more like omnisexual or something, you know? Both yeah, male and female. 
yeah, I just think that they happen to be the ones to birth um, on the on of their race. I don't think it was uh, that he was a, a, a yeah. gay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that if uh, if in fact Dennis Quaid was to hump Louis Gossett Jr. in Alien Makeup, that film would shoot to number one on my list of all time. <laughs> yeah, it, that would make for interesting viewing. And I think if I recall Quaid sports a very impressive beard in that film. Uh yeah yeah he he's been known to support the facial hair occasionally. You know I like Quaid. I wish he uh, did more stuff up our alley. But um, uh, I haven't seen that movie since I only saw it once, and I was actually I saw that in theaters. Man, I was about five or six years old, or maybe I saw it once on wow. TV after that. But um, I, I really like that film, and I wouldn't mind seeing it again. I think you and I even talked about it at some point off the air, uh, checking it out maybe somewhere down the. Long yeah, science fiction is kind of a dodgy subject for not dodgy subject, but dodgy film wise for us because you're not really the biggest fan, and most of the science fiction films that are really out there have already been covered, so we're kind of way holding off on a lot of sci fi stuff. So yeah, I mean, I know we talked about doing some '70s more kind of intellectual or thinking yeah. man sci fi, but yeah. you know, whatever. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, again, check out Sean's uh, website horrorcommentary.com, and we got a voicemail from Emily. Hey, gentlemen, it's Emily. It's about 8 in the morning on a Monday, so I'm off to work. But I was catching an old episode where Willie mentioned that he was a Beastie Boys fan, and I wondered if you guys had ever seen the Run DMC movie, Tougher Than Leather. I think it's from sometime in the 80s when, like, every musical act got a film, which usually involved a lot of random dance scenes. And this one is great because it's also, like, a really bad action movie. (laughs) And um, Beastie Boys have a cameo where they trash a restaurant and have some really bad lines, and it's worth checking out. And it also features one of my favorite um, uh, sexually confusing lines said by the villain when he's standing at a zoo staring at a giraffe, which is, uh, I wish I were a giraffe with a neck long enough that I could bend over and do myself. Mm. I'd change places (laughs) with any one of them like that. Wow. But that's just a dream. Check it out, or don't, but it's it's just one of those movies that somehow I thought of today and got very happy. <laughs> nice. Okay, happy long week ahead. Bye. Well, thank you, Emily. We appreciate that. Yes, I, again, want to say that I uh, I love Emily and her taste in films, and glad she's, uh, she's jumped aboard. Um, I'm ashamed to say that I've never seen that film, being a big fan of the Beastie Boys and Rick Rubin and Def Jam and and all that stuff of that era and disorderlies and and uh, house party and everything else but uh i've never seen i don't think you have either have you sammy i have seen bits and pieces of it i don't think it's available on dvd anywhere so if anybody can procure us a copy uh we would love to check it out because it just sounds like cinematic gold <laughs> yeah it's been a while since i've seen one of those fun kind of 80s uh I'm sure there's no shoelaces and big gold chains. Wicked. Lots of shell toes. <laughs> lots of fuzzy kangles. Yeah. Be nice. Nice. Nice stuff. I'd love to check it out. But it's awesome that she remembered that film because I had totally forgotten about it until her voicemail. So we appreciate that. It's definitely on the radar now. Yeah, she's... God, she's uh, she's impressive. That girl, that woman. Yep. That woman, girl. I don't, we don't know how old she is. We're not going to ask. We're going to assume you're a woman, Emily. Yes, that would be the gentlemanly thing to not ask. <laughs> yes. Here we go. Uh, this voicemail is one that's going to live with you guys for the rest of your life. So be ready. 
You know, I want to continue to talk about Truck Turner. I can't get past this movie. There's a line in this film that Isaac Hayes says when him and his partner are walking across the street and he's waiting for his old lady to get out of jail. And the partner says, man, you're going to be knee deep walking through that shit. And he says, man, I'm going to take that shit all the way to the bowl. Now, I don't know what he's talking about. Is he talking about the Super Bowl? I mean, he is the next football player, right? Or is he talking about the toilet bowl? Or possibly is he talking about his old lady's asshole? I don't know. But this line has pretty much enveloped my life and I use it every day like if I'm at work someone tells me to do something I say man I'm gonna take that shit all the way to the bowl or if I'm at home with my old lady and you know she tells me to get her a cup of coffee or something I say man I'm gonna take that shit all the way to the bowl it's the greatest quote ever I think it ought to be on t-shirts and stuff and it's right up there with I drink your milkshake anyway the other thing was the big racket I feel really bad about this but the second rape scene in that I don't know why there's a there's like a three second shot at the end of that rape scene that struck me as funny and I started laughing like hell I know you know what I'm talking about but uh, I just couldn't I couldn't stop laughing at that scene but the big racket was great and I'm uh, gonna be getting the heroin busters and I'm gonna watch that too so keep up the good work guys and I'll catch you later right, I'll see you peace oh all right so <laughs> oh take that shit to the bowl I, I don't think, and I, I'm probably safe in presuming that he wasn't talking about this old lady's asshole, but... Uh, well, you never know, but uh, yeah, I would assume that that's probably not what he's talking about. But that's awesome. That uh, Again, Chuck Turner should live forever. It's just like one of... Uh, it's just... I don't know. I, it's, it's quickly becoming... The more we talk about it, the more other people talk about it, it's quickly becoming maybe my favorite exploitation film of all time, so so great and people love it as much as they do and uh yes i agree there should be t-shirts that say i'm going to take that shit to the bowl and all the way to the bowl yes and to answer your question from an analytical standpoint the super bowl hypothesis makes sense because that means he's going to see it through to the end he's going to sort of do it right to the the finish um yes. so that would make sense because yeah truck was a, a former nfl star as they say so that, uh, and, uh, of course, as we record this, uh, my Pittsburgh Steelers have won the, and I do call them mine because I've been a fan my whole life, uh, have won the Super Bowl. And uh, I know that don't make the hat too happy because he is an Eagles man. So, Yeah, I, I will say this, uh, <laughs> Sammy. I hope you don't spend the $30 on that championship terrible towel that I think it's Sports <laughs> Illustrated has the gall and the nerve to try and sell. Thirty. No, I have my own terrible towel. I don't need a new $30 for a fucking hand towel. I got my superstitious, terrible tie I've had for years, and I'm going to keep that one. Nice. <laughs> All right, so we got uh, one last voicemail here from Matsuzaka, who didn't say anything about taking things to the bowl, but hopefully all of you can call in now. And every time you end a voicemail, why not say take that shit all the way to the bowl? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that would be awesome. Or actually, whenever you call Cinema Diabolica and OTC, any of you guys are listening to this, call them, and when you finish your voicemail there, too. Say, take this shit all the way to the bowl, please. Yes. That would, that would be awesome. That would make our weeks. <laughs> all right, here's uh, Matt. Yo, it's Matt Duzak. I just got done listening to episode 17, The Cutthroat Kill Zone. I uh, just watched Kill Zone not too long ago, and I really liked it a lot. The I own the DVD, and DVD, besides the uh, Bay Logan commentary, has a ton of extras on it that are great. It's two discs. It's got, uh, like, six featurettes, um, two anatomy of the scenes, so... Definitely take a look for it. I'm sure you can buy it on Amazon for really cheap. Um, and I love Donnie Yen. Speaking of which, I would love to hear you guys talk about maybe one of his older movies. Actually, I think it's his first movie. is uh, It's called Drunken Tai Chi, directed by Yuan Wu Ping. It's got a 
some great fighting in it. Donnie is very charismatic. And uh, there's one scene where he fights this heavyset broad that is fucking hysterical. Um, also, the best part of your review was when Sammy was saying he was surprised to see someone wearing white denim jeans and not painting. I was kind of <laughs> thinking maybe uh, Samuel Hong should have warmed to go with a superb mini mullet. Um, and I had one question for Willie. He was talking about, uh, he was referring to some to, the, the twins that were in some sex scandal. Is that the same twins from Vampire Effect? If so, Vampire Effect is kind of like one of my guilty pleasures, unfortunately. But uh, I did see the kind of sort of sequel, Twins Effect, and that movie was fucking terrible. But Donnie Yen was <laughs> in it, too. And he actually fights Jackie Chan, but it's pretty lackluster. Um, so, yeah, I was just wondering if it was the same girls, because I'm guessing they are. If they are, then those two girls are wicked hot. Um, <laughs> that's all I got. Keep up the good work, and I'm looking forward to next week's episode. Later, guys. Ah, uh, Matt Chizak. We haven't heard from Matt in a while, so it's good to hear his voice again. I'm glad he took that shit all the way to the bull and called in again. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, okay, to answer your question, Matt, uh, thank you for the tip on the two-disker uh, for the unfortunately titled Kill Zone. Uh, Drunken Tai Chi, I have seen once. It was on a dodgy VHS. Uh, I haven't seen it since. Uh, it is really old. I mean, it's 84. We're going back to Yen was really young there. Um, so I think it, it, it's time for a revisit of that. Uh, and in terms of the vampire effect, yes, I was referring to the twins. I think it's Charlene, you know, Charlene Choi, and I can never remember the other one's name, but it was them that was involved in that sex scandal. Um, yeah. Where their their uh, their trim was, uh, or the ones trim was on full display uh, with um, oh, not Sean Yu, um, Edison Chen. Um, so that was him. Uh, as for Twins Effect and Vampire Effect, I really I hate those films. And, you know, hey, different strokes, man. Uh, they are guilty pleasures, and uh, yeah, I guess the, the Twins are pretty enough. So there you go. Yes, and whenever anybody wears white denim jeans, they should be painting something. Or dancing <laughs> vigorously. Yes, because there's no, there's no point in wearing white denim jeans otherwise. Dancing or painting, <laughs> that's it. All right, guys, so that's uh, the end of our feedback and the end of our show, basically. I do want to say uh, head over to Pop Syndicate, check out all the shows over there, all of our good buddies over there. Our sister shows, obviously, Cinema Diabolica and Outside the Cinema. Our, uh, uh, all of our other good pals over there, Show Show, Big Red Podcast, everybody that's over there. Make sure to head over there. Also check out Paracinema.net, a uh, new issue of Paracinema is coming out soon, so look forward to that because I know I am. As am I. Uh, yeah, there you go. That'll be uh, there for quite some time. My dog's barking in the background, so I apologize for that. Uh, that's really about all I got. Make sure to check out Mondo Movie, Destroy the Brain, Chinstroker vs. Punter, all those guys. Make sure to check them out as well. Make sure to vote for us over at Podcast Alley. Uh, and make sure to please leave an iTunes review. Leaving iTunes reviews is very important in the future, trust me. There uh, might be a little, some kind of type of contest coming up with that, so... Leave reviews at iTunes. I really need. We really need those. I don't want to say I because it's not just my show, but we really do appreciate those. So please leave them over there. Uh, next week we're going to be back with a listener content show. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're going to do a listener content show next week. Am I right? Yes, uh, yes, right. you're right. <laughs> Uh, and I'll go ahead and mention the films now. We haven't actually posted on the boards or anything else, but with, uh, Mr. Hans, one who's one of our good friends, and uh, he picked two interesting films. One called Violent Midnight, and another one called uh well i can't remember off the top stage of my head fright. right now why not oh, yeah there we go stage fright uh a sophie a sophie film uh, maybe? That's how you say his name. yeah that uh, it looks fantastic i've never seen it always heard good things about it can't wait violent midnight know nothing about i can't wait to turn to that too because we know our good buddy hans 
He has interesting taste, to say the least. Yeah, he does have impeccable taste. This one has sort of been compared to Psycho, but a little sleazier, and I'm a fan of Psycho, so I think uh should be interesting. Yeah, and also make sure to check out, uh, you know, if you guys are looking for hard-to-find stuff, go over to Cinema Day Bazaar, check out their stuff. Uh, a lot of good hard-to-find stuff over there. Uh, I found a film over there that I thought I'd never see again, and I am very excited about it. So, And it will be on the show at some point. Yeah, so. we're going to start covering their stuff within probably the next month or so, and we're going to have an interview probably within the next few weeks or so. And again, the promotional code when you go over there is GENTLEMAN. Say the gentleman from Gentleman's Guide sent you over, and you get 10% off and hugs and kisses and all that good stuff. Yes. And the reason why I'm giving all these pleasantries away now is we're just going to let the theme music play out. And then we're just going to see you next week. Hopefully I didn't forget anybody or forget anything. I don't think I did. Do you think I did? I don't think you did. I know we're both uh, admittedly a little tired here, so we apologize <laughs> yes. if, uh, if we did. Um, if we did, we do apologize. <laughs> yes. And we'll get you on the flip so we side. So yeah, we're going to fade out and say our adioses and everything, but you guys make sure, no matter what you do, take that shit to the bowl. This... Uh, this week please do <laughs> okay so until uh next week uh this is samurai saying adios adios thanks for listening you can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com you can call the gentleman at 206 666 5207 and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com You better watch yourself
Kata 